Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. And now a word from our sponsors. Yes, we got sponsors. First up, Foo Wax. The best wax in the game. This stuff is so sticky and grippy, you'll never slip off your stick again. Ever. Ever. Again. So go to your local surf shop. And, and make sure they carry it. And if they don't, demand it. Demand it. You'll be stoked. Try it out. Our next sponsor, Bonsai Bowls. Oh. I know a lot of our listeners have, have had one of these. And if they haven't, they're going to now. They're missing out. They're missing out. It's a healthy, delicious, amazing, fresh acai bowl with tons of fruit and organic like ingredients. They've got five locations in Southern California. From Huntington to San Clemente and all in between. Two in Hawaii. Two in Hawaii for that, those on the North Shore. And, um, you know, come support these guys. They have amazing Asahi bowls and they support the West Coast board riders and a lot of the surf events up and down the coast. And they've made it a lot easier With to get them. They've got their own app now. That's right. Go to your app store and download Bonsai Bowl app and you can pre-order, pre-pay and just go pick up. Cut cut through the line. And for our listeners of the Late Night with Chalky podcast, you're going to get 15 off your next bowl. A 15% discount off yes. Bonsai Bowls. That's insane. Um, so make sure to mention the Late Night with Chalky podcast and you get 15% off That's at right. Bonsai Bowls. And one of our other favorite restaurants, oh, Caliente, Caliente OC. Caliente Southwest.com. They offer healthy Mexican style food with local uh, organic ingredients. Family owned. Family owned. Their phone number is 949-515-0909. And our listeners get 15% off there as well. Yeah. So mention Late Night with Chalky Podcast and get 15% off at Caliente OC. And both these guys are great at catering events. So you could use them for a shop event, corporate event, birthday event, wedding, all of the above. They love to party. And last but not least, we are super stoked to welcome Olo Clip as a new sponsor of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. What is Oloclip? Uh, they make the original mobile lens system for your phone. So these can make clips that hold the lenses, the cases that are designed to make it really easy to get the clip on the phone. So check them out at oloclip.com. And for all the Late Night with Chalky podcast listeners, they get 10% off. Uh, that's, that's huge. Huge. So at checkout, the code is SURF10, that's S-U-R-F, the ten. number 10, and you get 10% off Oloclip. And you guys got to check check out our Instagram. We're going to be posting pictures with these wide, in, wide lens uh, angles, uh, fish eye, all kinds of cool like photo options with your phone. And for you uh, rich dudes out there, like late night, Friends and they family, do make brothers and sisters cl- uh, <laughs> lenses for iPhone yes. 11s. What? What? Listeners, we got Epic. awesome guests. Thank you, sponsors. Uh, Thank you. I guess I'd say he's uh, kind of the guy that put uh, surfing on the map in New Jersey. You know, Surfer Hall of Fame, and he's a shop owner and contest promoter, promoter, and just 
all-around legend, Greg Grog Masenko. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. How you guys doing? Great, man. How are you? I'm, I'm fabulous, considering. <laughs> considering, right? Right. You know, I, we don't want to jump into the world of today, but uh, maybe, you know, tell us quickly, like, how you've had to adapt since uh, this pandemic and lockdown. Well, yeah, it's not a subject I really want to talk about after a full day of this, but uh, I'll start with a quick couple sentences here. I had to reinvent myself, uh, totally reinvent myself because we're closed down and we're trying to figure out how to make money, save our customer base. And so I learned it all from my sons, actually. They're into the Instagrams, you know, the YouTube, this, that, and the other thing. Whatever we had to do, I surrounded myself with young people and I learned how to do it. That's and awesome. so for the last 60 days, it's been very rough, a lot of work. I've never worked so hard in my entire life and made less money. But I think uh, our customers are happy that we're, we're hanging in there with them and uh, we see some light coming at us. Awesome. So. Okay, well then, let's go back in time and, and uh, tell us about your childhood and your gromhood and how you got into surfing, Grog. So, uh, you know... Uh, I was lucky enough to grow up on the beach. I mean, literally right on the beach. My backyard was the sand. Uh, my parents had met in Seaside Heights. It was a little little uh, family honky-tonk town with a lot of uh, rides and boardwalk games of chance. And uh, my father was from Trenton. He was an Hungarian. And uh, his mother uh, drove to Trenton uh, from Trenton to Seaside Heights way back in the 30s and 40s and just drove down this block and said, I'll take that sand dune for $10,000. And they <laughs> built that. Dune. And my mother on the other side was um, from New York. And uh, she was an Irish girl. Her father came over from Ireland uh, when he was 12 years old and made it in New York City. Wow. And they would drive down from New York City uh, in their convertible, whatever they had with everybody that lived on the block, you know. And they, they would go down the block and say, you want to go to Seaside? They, yeah, yeah, everybody just hop in the car and they would drive down and uh, stay, believe it or not, on the same block that my mother was staying on, Franklin Avenue in Seaside Heights. And my father was a dishwasher at the Humpty Dumpty Cafe. And uh, they met. And uh, this was a little bit after the war, in 1948. He had come back from World War II. And, uh, and in 1950, I was born in Lakewood, New Jersey. Wow. We uh, didn't have any money. We were very poor at the time, but we lived on the ocean. Bought the house for $70,000. And uh, I thought I was in heaven. I didn't even think I was poor at that time. You know what I mean? But we, <laughs> but, but because we were living on the ocean, how can you be poor living on the ocean? You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Everything was about the salt water and my backyard. So, um, you know, I went to, uh, uh, school in, locally uh, in uh, Palms River in a, a Catholic school and uh, my brothers and sisters were all going to go to the same school and for whatever reason they said that half the family couldn't go because it was full and my mother got just out of her mind and uh, sent me off to uh, uh, high school. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Well, in Central Regional, and my sisters went off to Point Pleasant Beach in St. Uh, in, in, uh, uh, Peter's. So, uh, but we were beach people, and uh, uh, I was, uh, didn't even know about surfing. Until I was like 13. Wow. Yeah. So we were, you know, I was a fast kid. I was a runner. So I was super fast. And and so I went out for football probably when I was 14. And uh, I just couldn't hack it. I just, I didn't like it. And uh, so I quit football uh, because I wanted to go surfing. And uh, I used to get beat up on the bus all the time because I they, they thought I was fast. I could, I could catch good, but I didn't want to stay with the, the sport of, of football. But I did what I wanted to do. Maybe it was just the fact that I was a loner. I, I you know, when you're on the beach, uh, it's I'm a loner. You know, what I mean, is you know all the the northeast storms and you know and uh, the smell of the ocean and the fact that half the town is empty all winter long. We live for three months out of the year. I just felt this weird connection to the beach. So in June twentieth, uh, my birthday, uh, my father brought me down the block to a place called Charlie Keller's. Keller's was the uh, the epitome of the original surf shop, small, about 500 square foot, and they had uh, G&S surfboards there. And uh, my father bought me a first board, uh, 1963, uh, single fin G&S with a red competition band. Long board, obviously, but what was it new nine, or used? Nine ten, nine ten, nine ten. Yeah. So when did you first see somebody surfing at 13 or? Yes. No, I probably saw somebody surf prior to that. Uh, this guy, Bobby Islow and uh, a guy named uh, McDevitt, they were surfing. There was some there was another little slight little generation right before me in Seaside Park and in Belmar and Long Branch. So these guys were probably if I'm going to be 70 in June, these guys probably are about 74, 73. So these guys were you know ahead of me and they were going to California and guy named billy kuntz uh, k-u-n-t-z he was around so these guys weren't surfing the pier at that time they were just surfing around and i saw them um and then those guys introduced you or you picked it up yourself uh they didn't introduce me you know i was a beach guy i'm sitting on the beach watching these guys surf we were into uh, mats at the time so we my brother and i chris uh who's 18 months younger than i am uh we would blow up these mats and try to kneel on them and then stand on them. No fins. You know, these are <laughs> canvas mats, you know? Wow. And, uh, we were becoming pretty good at doing this, you know? Yeah. Just, you know? So, uh, and then we got surfboards and we said, dad, I, we, we got to get some boards, you know? And my well, brother 
bought a board, I guess, a year after me of a place in Brielle, which is a town north of Manasquan. Uh, back then, the boards couldn't fit in the showroom, so you'd have to lay them down. Uh, so we, he bought a Bing Donald Takayama model, model with knife rails, uh, about 9.8. I don't know how my brother ever rode the board. It, <laughs> it should have been for Hawaii, but he bought it. And uh, that's what we did with no leashes, by the way. Yeah. Uh, at that time. And no wetsuits, really, right? Uh, oh, the wetsuits. You, you can't even believe the the wetsuits. Have, my father was a diver, so uh, he, he gave me his dive suit, which is, uh, I guess, three-quarter inch uh, pair of pants. Uh, and then you had the, uh, the, the zip-up jacket uh, and that had this uh, metal flap underneath that you grommeted together. And uh, you remember the boots back then were, were socks. They didn't have soles on them. <laughs> oh, man. And we didn't have a hood, so we had mitts. So, it, you know, you, you, you it was hard to even move in the thing, like, you know, like you're Frankenstein, you know what I mean? Yeah. And But uh, and probably heavy. And it was so heavy. And the, the rashes that we would get from them. And, and, and they didn't, you know, it wasn't like nylon, too, where you had nylon on the inside and nylon on the outside. It was smooth skin on both sides. Yep. So get on, you had to powder them up. You had to throw a lot of powder into them until you could slip your feet into them because otherwise you would stick to the surface. It's, you know you know how smooth skin is. It's supposed to yeah. stick in and cause a suction. So, and that's what it did. But once we got in the water, it was like, I was, it was like heaven. So it, it, the experience was so incredible. Got on the face of a wave, even if you purled a hundred times, if you just got the wave 50 yards, you looked at each other and when you big giant smile and go, I want more of this stuff. <laughs> Amen, man. That's what we keep living, living yeah. the dream. Well, and what was what was the crowd like when you at your the, local spot? Nothing. What do you mean crowd? There was yeah. no crowd. We were looking for people to surf with. We yeah. went 10 miles to find somebody else that, that had the passion that we did. Uh, there was no crowd whatsoever. Chris and I would surf for hours, you know, by yeah. ourselves, which is appropriate for what we want to do today, you know. But uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so you go you got your your first surfboard at fourteen, right? Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. The the GNS uh, uh, nine ten, right? So, what happened after that? Did you did you you, you fell in love with surfing? Did was there any competitions that you started doing or? Yeah, you know, uh, I learned from the early start that I was better of a free surfer than I was a real competition surfer. <laughs> I, I won plenty of contests, but I, I couldn't focus once I got in the water, you know. I mean, there was somebody jogging me around me and I was uh, couldn't find my position. And five minutes after the heat, I was ripping. But during the heat, I, I looked like a kook. Bro, you but, sound just like uh, late night. <laughs> so um so the contest in new jersey happened to be in really like three locations there was the long branch area uh that had some really great surfers and they were all around uh the weber shop mammoth beach weber shop up there in long branch then there was the belmar connection the manatee surf shop and then there was ocean city new jersey uh, with Surface Supplies and George Gerlach. So those were the three main areas of surfing in New Jersey. There were other places like Long Beach Island where Ron Johns was from and all that. But uh, 
those three, those, I'll give it four places. Those four places uh, were the hubs. Uh, Seaside Heights was not progressive at that time. So we would drive to these places. And this guy, Ken Andrus, as I, I was saying, uh, from Ortley Beach, was a big guy. He was about six foot six, weighed about 230 pounds. He had a size like 20 shoe. Damn. So, <laughs> and uh, so we liked this guy because he would protect us, you know what I mean? And he had great stories, and he was a really nice guy. And he had a car, this is no lie, that he had to sit in the back seat to drive it. So he, <laughs> and he sat in the back seat, and he would drive from the back seat. And we would all pop in, and I mean, we would run out of gas going to these concert, these uh, contests, and uh, it, it was a joke. It was so funny everywhere we went. And uh, so we went to Ocean City, and uh, they would have these contests called the Polar Bear Contest. And I'm telling you, it was cold. Yeah. It was freaking cold, and there was snow on the beach, and it was blizzards. Some contests, there were ways we would just paddle to <laughs> see who. I mean, it was it, it was so bizarre. So, um, and 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 then we eventually ended up going to Virginia Beach and, and North Carolina, and and so on. So we we, we drove a lot with Kenny uh, and this guy Billy Kuntz in his uh, in his vehicle, and. Uh, and that's how we got started. My brother probably was a, a little bit better contest surfer than I was. Mm. And you're, what, what, what was it like traveling the coast? Were you just like, hey, let's go find a spot? Or were guys telling you about like certain spots, like up and down the well, coast? A combination of both. And, you yeah. know, I will elaborate on this here that we are still to this day the modern day explorers. All surfers are. Yeah. You know? yep. And uh, back then, I guess we had a map in the car. We would look at the coastline through the map or look at the exits, and we'd go, there's got to be ways there. So let's <laughs> go there and figure this out. You know? And uh, so uh, that's what we'd do. We would, we would drive a lot uh, to the contest, and then eventually we'd start driving to other places. My father drove me, Chris, on Thanksgiving weekend to Rhode Island. Wow. He wasn't a surfer, although he paddled. He had a wooden paddleboard underneath the house. So he was in, in queue with the ocean, but he wasn't a real surfer. In fact, back then, those boards didn't have fins anyway, so I tried to stand up. But I knew that the board was there, and it was a paddleboard. So he, we, we drive to New England, and he gets off the road. We have our boards with us. Chris has his Donald Takayama. I got my GNS. I remember it being cold. And we get off the road at this exit, and my father drives into this sleepy little town. And guess what it was called? Matu. I don't know if you guys have heard of Matunic, but in Matunic, right near Point Judith, it's a perfect left, all wow. rock. He drives up. The waves are perfect. They're six foot, 100 yard long left. I look at my father. I go, you got to be kidding me. How did you find this? I don't know. But you see, the instinct ran in my, this instinct in family from my father. Yeah. And, and throughout life and through my whole career, my brother and I picked it up. And we huh. ran with, you know, so uh, we started going all up and down from Maine all the way to Florida. We started driving. Wow. You know, like, yeah, we were like crazy people driving all over the place. So what kind and, of car did your dad 14, have? At 14 years old, my parents let us do this. Yeah, you that's know? awesome. Yeah. How, uh, what kind of car did you guys have? Well, I didn't have a car, like I said, but this, it had to be, you know, it looked like one of those giant Buicks or Cadillacs with the big wings on the back. You know yeah. what I mean? The thing would look, and when they turn it, you know, it's like 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was, it was like a yacht, right? It's like an aircraft carrier. Yeah. yeah. And we drive up with that, you know. Where but did you can't... put the boards? Uh, we, we strapped them to the roof with the uh, rope. You know, there was no Harry <laughs> Block didn't have his stuff going on. Right. And there was no traps, you know, there's no the kind, you know. Just... Everything back then was DYI. You had to That's do it right. yourself. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I mean, I can get, there's so much to talk about. I, but, but where do you want to go next? So you guys were traveling up and down the Eastern seaboard. Right. Right. Meet, meet, meeting meet. more and more surfers. Yeah. We like, we met uh, Pete Smith in Virginia beach. Okay. He was a, and Bob Simon and, uh, down there. And then there was a group in long branch that I really liked the Billy, uh, 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 Cunes, uh, Vince Tronic. I don't know if you've heard of these guys, but uh, Joe Schluter and these were all great surfers from that from that little town. And uh, Jim Phillips, we met from Belmar, and uh, we surfed together. And you know, like all surfers do, we pushed each other, and we got better because we all were always pushing each other, pushing yeah. each other. Yeah. And that's how we got better. And uh, and then the biggest change of our life was that uh, Endless Summer came out. I was just going to say something about that. Tell us yeah. about that. So the endless summer comes. So my brother and I take a train to Kipps Bay Theater in New York City because that's where it was playing. It wasn't playing at the beach. It was playing in New York City. Yeah. In the city. Coast. It stayed up there. So we drove up. And we got in there. And we were not 15, maybe. And uh, we come out and we go, this is a great idea. Let's go. Let's do our <laughs> Let's do our summer. Sure. Screw the yeah. Eastern Seaboard. Let's go. Let's yeah. conquer the world. Yeah. So <laughs> guy, guy that I told you about, Ken Anders, was talking about this place called Puerto Rico. And I said, Puerto Rico. So we get this little eight millimeter uh, camera and uh, we film ourselves packing the night before we leave. Now, I'm telling you, I'm 16 years old. My mother's letting me go to Puerto Rico with my brother, who's 14 years old. We had no leash. We'd never been there before. We're going by ourselves. One other guy named Billy Boyle. And uh, we have no place to stay. We have no idea to get from San Juan to Rincon. There were no flights until Aguadilla. It was a it was Ramey Air Force Base. So uh, we get up we get off the plane at midnight. I don't speak Spanish. All I can say is okay. Rincon Rincon. So the guy He's speaking to me in Spanish. I don't know what he's saying. I just keep saying Rincon, Rincon. So he puts the boards in the back of a yellow cab. Now, you can imagine this, a New York yellow cab. The boards are sticking out six to eight feet out the back. He's got them roped down, and we're driving three and a half hours in the middle of the night with no place to stay. <laughs> so we get there, and Billy, of course, his parents uh, were down there with him. He's staying at, in my ways at the Hilton. We're staying we find a guy on Bummer Hill. If you guys, I, have, I don't know if you've ever been to Rincon, but um, we're, there's a, you know, because Rincon is a is a hill on the beach. It's called Puntus. Puntus means hill. So we knock on this guy's door. We hear that this guy has rooms. He comes out. His name is Antonio Munez. He's got four apartments that overlook the break that's called his name, Antonio's, and uh, it's fifteen dollars a night. Twelve dollars a night, and uh, so we, we we park ourselves there with no with no car to drive around with, and we walked up and down Bummer Hill. Now this is before domes; you couldn't surf domes at the time. You couldn't surf indicators. 
and all we could serve was Maria's and the point. We didn't even know about Dogman's uh, and, 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 and Antonio's. And so, that, was, that was so incredibly beautiful that it, to this day, I go there at least twice a year. Wow. Did you, did you score go, waves the first trip? What? Did you guys score a good surf the, the uh, first trip? Still have the films, which I could probably send you sometime. I, you know, damn. I was, I was on a blue machine, nine ten blue machine, Bob McTavish, offset single fin. I don't know if you guys ever saw any of those boards, but yeah. with with black slip check, you know. And uh, we can, scored. Can we, can we go the, back a second here, though? So you sure. saw Endless Summer at around fifteen years old, right? Uh, yes. And then, and then the year after, you said you had your sights on going somewhere and you picked Puerto Rico. That's right. right. Was right. Puerto Rico inlet endless summer and that's why you picked it? Or you just heard that? No, it, it, no, Puerto Rico was nothing to do with endless summer whatsoever. Okay. But we to make our own endless summer movie and we, we filmed ourselves packing the night before Got and it. we, we chose Puerto Rico to go to. So but the, but the story, but the, but our story ended in Puerto Rico. We didn't start filming going around. <laughs> we right. There. That's all we did. What, uh, how did you get the money for your trip? I have no idea. But <laughs> I, I don't, my brother probably remembered more stuff than I can remember. But because uh, I've, I've always been told I remember, I forget all the, the bad stuff, I remember the good stuff. But um, I, we worked like dogs uh, when we were very young. We, we worked, lived in Seaside Heights, and Seaside Heights for three months of the year had incredible businesses on the boardwalk. Yeah. We, we were collecting two cents bottles and, we, and all these Coke bottles and we returned them for two or three cents. And let me tell you, we made some money. We would sift the sand underneath the whole seaside boardwalk and find quarters and, and stuff that fell through the boardwalk. And I, I mean, I'm telling you at that time, yeah. we, you were making $30 a day finding money. That was a lot of money. Yeah. And we, we would sneak onto the rides into the Himalaya and find these chains that would fall out. So we were hip to where to find the money and make the money at a very young age, and we and we and uh, I mean I assume my father helped us out, but the flights probably cost a hundred bucks max yeah. round trip. I think it was ninety dollars round trip at that wow. time. Wow. Yeah, and the rooms sound kind of expensive, right, Puerto Rico? Uh, yeah, I guess that was expensive at that time. I, when you think of it, fifteen dollars, I'll take that any day. But uh, back then, I guess that was ex- expensive. I mean, years later, I. Uh, I lived up the hill from uh, at Antonio's mother's house. Oh, I'll get back to this, but yeah. I'll, but uh, I stayed at her house for forty dollars a month. Wow! Okay? And I'll tell you about those stories. Get to them. But um, so, so you Puerto filmed Rico. each other surf in Puerto Rico, made yes. your own little endless summer. That's right. Yeah, was- and we you know the sunset going down and you know, the whole thing. We had it all. You know, that's so awesome. How did you, you traveled with a huge surfboard, camera gear, your, your personal stuff. And you know, that, that must've been just wild, like not knowing where to stay or, or how to, how to like <laughs> yeah. not get stuff ripped off. You know, I talked to my brother about this a couple of times. And, uh, we never thought about theft at that time, <laughs> but he did have his money stolen in Puerto Rico. He had left it on the beach and they stole it on him. But I mean, outside of that, we felt very safe. Uh, yeah. We would scared anywhere we went, and uh, I, I can't say that uh, we were very secure and positive. Which I goes back to my mother and father. You know, yeah. we, we 
felt we could pull it off, and we and my mother was okay with it. So you know, and my yeah. father, he went to he was in World War Two, and he was over in the Philippines, and so he's always, he was always away from home. So we got we must have been in our in our genes. You know? Yeah, and you're <coughs> you're a big guy, right? You're like what? No, I'm not. I mean, now I'm my fighting weight was 189. I was five eleven and a half. Okay. Now two oh five and shrinking. <laughs> and was your brother about the same size too? No, my brother about two inches shorter than me. Okay, yeah. okay. But he's a stronger guy than I am. He's a big wrestler. Yeah. So how long were you guys there for that first trip? Uh, we were probably there ten days. Damn. Ten days. What time of year? Oh, of course, it was December or January. Yeah, yeah. prime time. You know, the logic to that was, you know, was soon after that. Now, you're only talking two years after that. The World Contest showed up there. So we were ahead of the World Contest in Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. It, the World Contest showed up in 68 with PT and Nat Young and David Nueva and the whole group. And uh, I didn't go to that. But, you know, they, they and of course, Rincon really became big after that. Yeah. How funny. So. Yeah. You, you graduated from high school. Did you go to college? What, what was your... Yeah. So, back in the 60s, uh, there was this guy named Dick Catry from far. So, Dick Catry would, had an uncanny ability to find a, uh, the best surface in Cocoa Beach. And uh, he would put these guys on a team, and he would drive up and down the coast promoting Hobie surfboards. Hmm. And uh, some of the guys on this team were Bruce Belusi, uh, Gary Proper, who was the first pro surfer in the world before Corky. Wow. I know Corky's going to scold me for that, but not. <laughs> but uh, uh, and Mike Tabling. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Oh, yeah. And Fletcher Sharp and Shay Sharp. And uh, so these guys would drive from and win every contest in every position. It was like incredible, man. These guys would just, and then there was the Surfboards Hawaii team because when when, when Dick Catry was done with Surfboards uh, uh, Hobie, he went on to uh, Surfboards Hawaii. And so uh, Gary Proper and these guys would come to town and before the contest even started, they would uh, free surf down in Seaside Park on 6th Avenue. So I'm out one day and uh, these guys are surfing uh, I'm surfing. It was perfect. It was about four foot and offshore. It was really beautifully crisp offshore winds. Very beautiful summer day. You could smell it. You know, they, you know, smell summer in the air. And all of a sudden, I turn around and I see this girl hanging heels in front of me. And I go, "What the? What is? Who is that?" It was Mimi Monroe. Wow. So I look around and I see this other guy, Mike Tabling. You know, Cheater Fives. And so I looked at my brother. That. I don't know who these guys are, but I'm getting out of the water to watch these guys. <laughs> so we, we sat on the beach for about a half hour. You didn't grab I, your camera? No. <laughs> I have my camera everywhere, you know. I'm not that vain. So uh, so I sit on the beach, and all of a sudden this guy comes down, and he flexes his muscles a little bit, <laughs> and, uh, snaps his fingers, and Dick Hatchery goes to, goes, uh, points to the water, and this guy comes in from the be- from the water, and gives Gary Proper, who was flexing, his board. <laughs> Gary Proper paddles out, and the first wave he gets, I don't know if you've ever seen him do the fish killing move, where he, he stalls the board and he jumps from the tail 
to the nose in one swoop and hangs 10 the whole way. Wow. Oh, my God. It was his move. So he does a, does a giant stall and jumps from, from the tail to the nose. And we all went, oh, my God, this guy is insane. So they were there for the Atlantic State Surfing Contest in 1966. And who, who showed up but Corky and, and Jamie Budge, Dewey Weber, and uh, just, they were all here. Yeah. And so it was at that time the East Coast versus the West Coast. Wow, okay. And, Sick. And, and Gary Proper, who had a contract with Hobie at the time, Gary Proper Models, who sold a lot of boards was up against Dewey Weber. And in that contest, Weber won. Gary didn't. But then the next contest they drove to in Virginia Beach and Gary got him back. Nice. Major competition back then. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what, where I was going with it with the subject, but uh, what, what what was these like pro events like? What kind of you know money entry or how how was it like composed? Like what, what kind of prize money? Now, Jimmy Williams uh, was the guy who ran it and I still his, his son is in radio so Jimmy just died a couple of years ago and they happened to give me all the heat sheets uh, of this of this contest called Atlantic State Surfing Contest and you have to see the names it's it's just incredible who was there but uh, so that was my little uh, entry level to wanting to run a contest just by seeing what was going on you know yeah uh, <clears throat> so that 66. And uh, so we were going to Puerto Rico. This world contest showed up in 68. And uh, I, I got introduced to the guys from Florida, uh, who I was very impressed with, which were sort of like my surfing heroes. So Billy Boyle and I, now we're about to graduate from high school, and we have a choice to go where we want to go to college. I wanted to be in photography. So I was going to think about going to Brooks Institute up there in Malibu. Uh, but for whatever reason, where I was it? To go. Malibu? Brooks Institute of Photography, I believe, is sitting up on, above Malibu. Oh, wow. Know, California. Yeah. California. Okay. It's a good so, choice. So Billy Boyle decided to go to California, but I don't decide to do that. I decide to go to. Cocoa Beach to this place called Brevard Junior College because I wanted to be with the guys that that I learned I, I met coming up from Florida with, with the surf team. So we go down there. I'm uh, I guess I'm seven. No, I'm eighteen. Yeah, I'm eighteen years old. I drive down there with a uh, with a yellow VW bus. But let me backtrack before that because I think this is important. So in the summertime, you know, I worked on the boardwalk. I had a good voice. They liked me. So so I would become a barker. I don't know if you ever heard. No, yeah. No, but a, yeah. So I would be up the late night specials where I would. <laughs> <laughs> I number four, the G number two. It wasn't, it wasn't a bingo game. It was a fascination. You'd roll this ball up, you know, and, uh, they these guys convinced my parents to let me let me talk late at night. Wow! And I I never knew my voice was whatever it was, but they liked it. So uh, so I would work on the boardwalk and we would hustle so we could make money during the three months of the summer. And so daytime I would be a uh, this is fourteen years old. I would be an umbrella boy, and then at night I would be uh, 
uh, a dishwasher and and waiter, and then I would go off to fascination. So we had three jobs within a matter of one day, okay. And in between that time, of course, you would surf in the morning and then you would surf at night because you weren't allowed to surf during the day because the beaches were closed during the day. You couldn't the swimmers. Yeah. Wow. So with odd, it was. I mean, you you could find spots, but for the most part. So I now became, were they were they also closed to to like sunbathing? No, no, but. Okay. Uh, you know, this but surfing, like, it was off limits. Yeah, this like big rough, similar to Huntington, where you he's watching everybody on cameras. You know what I mean? Right. And, and so they would talk about you loudly, like you, Zap on Fremont Avenue. Stop necking with your girlfriend. You know. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was really like Big Brother type stuff. But uh, the the head of the lifeguards, this name, this guy named Boyd, you uh, Boyd was pretty hip on on uh, on, the, on on the beach and he was a really good lifeguard and he would take me out in his rowboat these these giant wooden rowboats and he'd stick me up at the bow and we'd surf down these waves and he would have this almost like english he'd have his oar out and he would steer with going down the face of these and he had me on some pretty big waves four wow. foot so i got a taste of all that going on i'm working and uh so I forgot where I was going here with this, but uh, just hustling, making money over the summer, making money. So there was a shop in, in Lavalette, a guy named Joe Simonella. Have you heard of that guy? Uh-uh. He used to own a store called Custom Surf Shop. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring. You're, you're, you and your, your tracker trio. Yeah, you go. Now yeah, I'm I want to hear about the tracker trio making money. Bad about me. Okay. So, uh. So we he, he hires us for $60 a week. Yes. Uh, $60 a week to drive around and loan people boards uh, to try out. Say, try out the board on the beach. And then we bring him to the shop and he closes the deal. Okay. So, uh, you know, some days it's flat. You're, we're, we're you're running demos. You're running surf demos. Yeah, that's right. We're doing demos. Yeah. Some days it was flat, so we'd go fishing. You know, he... <laughs> He, he would, if he wanted to know where we were all day, we were blowfishing, you know. So, uh, but we got it, we got to be good at it, okay. And uh, so the tracker trio was a guy named Doug Nagel, Richard, Rich Lutheran, and we had our t-shirt. We had the, the van painted in yellow with the tracker trio on it, and we would go ever, everywhere. Uh, and Doug Nagel. Uh, the day before I went to college in Cocoa Beach, died of cancer. Oh, yeah. At the age of like 18, man. Damn. Damn. So, yeah. It shook us. Uh, one of the first close people that died uh, that I knew at my age, you know, it was really a shock for me. So we drove to Cocoa Beach. Instead of going to California, I took the left turn and Billy Boyle took the right turn and he went to California. And we got down there, and uh, Ron John's was a tiny little store at about a thousand square feet. Wow. Okay, he, he owned one. I don't know if you have, have you ever been to Cocoa Beach. Yes. Okay, so you know what it looks like now. Yes. Well, <laughs> like that, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, so did Ron John surf? Uh, I guess Ron did. You know, Ron's probably going to listen to this, but so I mean, but I guess he did. Uh, but you know, like he had this store in Long Beach Island, which was the first 
that was about maybe a thousand square foot, maybe 500 square foot. But Ron was an amazing guy with, uh, he had such vision. It was incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, uh, so the- we drove, we drove down there to see Gary proper one night, uh, prior to me going to Cocoa beach, uh, in Long Beach Island. And, um, so I get down there and I'm, you know, we're listening to Ron because he's got all, the, all these stories he's telling and, uh, his father's there. Now, he's Ron, and his father's John. <laughs> that's what it is? Yes. Okay. That's what it is. And the first, the first Ron John was in? Long Beach? Long Beach Island, yes. Wow. New, I don't uh, know. New Jersey, then, right? Yeah, it would have to have been in uh, the early 60s. Okay. okay. So, uh, uh, Ron had collected all these hatch covers. Do you know anything about hatch covers? No. Yeah, so hatch covers... Are these these uh, on these on the boats of giant giant boats? These okay. shipping boats, China, have these these hatch covers on the deck. And they're made out of wood, and they have these two handles on them uh, that are that are in, sunk into the into the deck. So these ships must have been upgraded, and they had these hatch covers they wanted to get rid of. So they 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 stockpiled them on the shipping yards to you know hundreds of feet. All these. So I guess Ron had the insight to look at these hatch covers when he drove by somewhere in New Jersey at the ports and said, what are you guys doing with those hatch covers? They said, we don't, we, we'll give them to you. We want to get rid of them. So he had these guys drive these hatch covers down to his shop and make these walls of hatch covers that surrounded the store, and he made resin art tables out of them. Wow. So getting these stuff for free and made these resin art tables. So he's pouring resin onto these tables. And he's putting, you know, he's putting shells in the holes and he's doing starfish. Ah. His tables. And they were works of art. Wow. When he wasn't selling surfboards, he was selling this stuff. So we go down there and we, we check it out. And, and I'm going, my God, this guy. So amazing. So we start talking and he's telling me about, you know, his kicks. He used to take dynamite out into the, 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 into the woods and he stick them underneath these trees and he'd blow up the dynamite to see how how vertical the tree would blow up into the air. <laughs> so, and this is three stories, Ron. I know you, I know, I know you told me this. So, uh, and then, uh, he says, would you like some brownies? I said, no, I don't, I don't want any brownies. Just, no, I have a brownie. Just, all right. He started eating the brown. That's my father had six of them. He says, I just want you to know they're laced with pot. <laughs> I, I, does your father know? He goes, no, no, I'm going to stay here with him. So we left. That was my introduction to Ron. You know. How cool. Yeah. So so, uh, so did you know about weed before that? Not, well, I probably did, but. Uh, that's another uh, story. That's another story, yeah. We'll entertain that, too. But uh, so uh, anyway, we decided to go to Florida. So I drive down in my in my van, and we get to Cocoa Beach. No place to stay. Same old deal. Uh but for some reason, there were other surfers in my area that had the same idea I did, and they were there. I didn't even know this guy. This guy named Bill Lammers. You know who that is? No. He is the guy that owns Brave the World. Okay. So uh, we had to stay uh, in this motel called the Wakula. I didn't know Billy at that time. He was from Manilokan. And uh, so we end up together. Uh, at this motel named Wakula, about two blocks from Ron John. Now, there was no campus 
to live on. It was a community college. And I mean, really, let's be honest, mom and dad, you know I was only going to go surfing. I mean, yeah. It was cool. Oh, what do you mean? Yeah, I, I went down there. So, uh, but it was the '60s, and everything was going up down there, dude. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the drugs were rampant, okay, and the surfing was rampant. The so, girls were rampant. The, the girls were so beautiful down there, incredible. <laughs> so we were getting thrown out of apartment from apartment to apartment like it was water. Every other month, we were we we had to leave this apartment to go to that apartment. We were living everywhere because we were partying all night and surfing all day. And so, uh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we ended up, a lot of us ended up at this place, Crescent Beach Apartments. Crescent Beach Apartments is where, uh, Bill, Bill, uh, uh, Bringhurst lived, Gary Proper lived there, um, uh, Jimbo Brothers, Mike Tabling, uh, a lot of great surfers all lived at this one particular place, and we surfed out back. And uh, we started driving south to a place called In the Atlantic, where uh, where Dick Catry was, and his he had a surf shop there with Shag and uh, his wife, and they were selling these boards, the Hobies and the, the Hawaiis. And uh, he took me one day with Mike Tabling to a place called Sebastian Inlet. Oh wow! Ooh, yes. So back then, we weren't allowed to surf in Sebastian Inlet because it was fishing jetty, but the wave was beyond belief. It had this rebound. The way the jetty was formed, it had a weird curvature to it. So similar to similar to Manasquan, but it was more pronounced. And the wave would bounce off the jetty, rebound off the jetty, hit the next wave. And would form this gigantic peak. It was like two forces of water coming together to form this giant. So you would take off and you like super vertical. I mean, for an East Coast wave, you were jacked up. You had to get in earlier. You're going to get pitched, you know? Yeah. And, and I sat on the beach for about an hour and watched cabling just tear it apart. I mean, going straight down to the pit, turning and going straight up the face, just blasting out. And Fletcher Sharp getting tubed on the takeoffs. And, and uh, so... Uh, this guy uh, from Australia was there. I'm trying to remember his name. He was there for and him and Cat. <laughs> him and who? Him and Catry. Dick Catry. Okay. Uh, were surfing there, and and Tat Catry brought it to court and beat it, and that was the first time that you could legally surf there uh, with the fishermen. Oh, now nice. The, the fishermen would be throwing their lures at you, and you know. <laughs> But it didn't stop us, and we, we started surfing there. So, you know, uh, that was my introduction to Cocoa, Florida, and, uh, and, and Sebastian Inlet. And <clears throat> we spent about two years there. And uh, They should have built those jetties up and down the coast. Oh, my God. <laughs> they ruined it a little bit because they put these, uh, these weird uh, uh, jack-type jack uh New jetties, they throw them together, these jacks. They look like jacks, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fit together. Well, the water doesn't flow through them that good. It, it, it ruined the break. But anyway, we started surfing all over that area. And uh, one day, Michael Tabling came by. Uh, do you guys know Michael Tabling? I've heard of Michael Tabling, yeah. You guys should look him up. He's, he was the East Coast, not young. Yeah. He was he, incredible surfer. Yeah. And he said, Grog, let's go, uh, let's go to uh, the South Florida tonight. I said, why? He goes... Because this place called Reef Road, 
building go be going off tomorrow. So we drove down there at three o'clock in the morning, and he we drive up to uh, Reef Road, and the waves are at least ten feet breaking through Jupiter Inlet, straight across the inlet, all the way down Reef Road. It was a point break of about two hundred yard lefts. Wow. And he called it right, and I just went, "Oh my God, this Florida has some really good surf." Right. You know? So uh, I hung around with Catry down there uh, and Gary Proper. Uh, it was probably the best time in my life down there because you got to remember there was so much going on besides surfing, the con- the concerts back then. Yeah. Uh, Music we saw was. Le- he saw Led Zeppelin in uh, Tampa. Damn. One night we we were probably doing mescaline or something. I don't know what we were doing, but we, <laughs> we got there late. We didn't even get to see them, so we decided we were going to follow them like groupies and go to Miami Beach. And uh, the sto- as the story goes, we drove to Miami Beach, you know. And back then we were from New Jersey, so we we looked like Led Zeppelin. Our hair was long. We had the outfits going on, you know. We looked like rock stars. Yeah, with the, with the platform shoes, the whole bit, and. Uh, so we got to the concert. We were late again, and uh, we drove. We ran up, and they said, "I said, do you have any seats?" And they go, "You guys must be really lucky." And that was the first time I really thought I might have been lucky in life. <laughs> and these guys just walked out. You got second row center. I said, no what? way. And we saw Led Zeppelin in wow. nine in Miami Beach, second row center. And uh, after the concert, we acted like we were Led Zeppelin, and, and we drove to their hotel. And we stood outside and signed autographs and stuff. It was like <laughs> one guy that that was with me. He had the same hair that uh, Robert had, and he looked just like him. But uh, so my, the whole Florida thing was uh, a great, great, great experience for me, uh, and I lived through it. And uh, so I lived with this guy. I lived with this guy, Artie Henderson, and. Uh, Artie Henderson was a rich guy from North Jersey. I, I don't know why I lived with him, but we, we met up and we split the apartment. And we lived at Crescent Beach apartment, so it's a pretty uh, luxurious apartment house. With you know, proper was there, all these guys, uh, and uh, he raised Doberman Pinchers. And uh, we decided that we were going to open up a surf shop, mm. and that Gary Proper was going to help us. Uh, so. Gary was in Florida get, or up in Jersey? Uh, in Jersey. Okay. I was I was going to quit my schooling. It was only a two-year college anyway. I was going to quit my schooling. And I was going to go um, open up this surf shop called The Natural Art. Now, this is, this is right after The Natural Art movie. So it wasn't like I thought up the name. Right. Uh, but nobody was using the name, so we decided to call it The Natural Art. Prior to natural art surfboards, Pete Dooley did his own thing later on. Okay. This was that. So uh, we got together Wangling surfboards that we picked up in Jacksonville Beach. We had Hobie. We had Kate, Canvas by Caton, Birdwells, and Jack Eagle's surfwear. And that's how we started. Oh, and Con surfboards because I was close to Claudie. And uh, we drove back and opened it up. How did you uh, finance this? You got you. you I, partnered. I bought my father loaned me ten grand, so we did it with twenty thousand dollars. Because your buddy was wealthy, right? Yeah, my buddy was wealthy, okay. but we did the fifty-fifty deal. And he surfed so, too, obviously. He surfed, but he was he, he, 
he wasn't he wasn't as hardcore like we were. Right. You know, he was he's a nice guy, but he wasn't hardcore like we yeah. were. And uh, and you guys it, went through the shortboard revolution then, right? You were already starting to shortboard, right? Yeah, with Simo, with Simo. Uh, so we're on these longboards, and one night Simo tells us you have to drive to uh, Newark Airport to pick up this shipment of boards. Now back then the boards would be flying in with Flying Tiger freight lines, and so we would we went up there and uh, we picked up the boards. We unwrapped them in the in the in the in the, in the port, you know. And uh, I pulled out this board. It was I remember I was riding now uh, nine foot. I pulled out an eight four and a seven eight Bob McTavish cracker D bottom sick. Uh, with 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 uh, psychedelic uh, 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 slip check on it, flowers. The whole deck was flowers. Yeah. And we looked at these boards and went, "Oh my God, these are incredible!" We drove to the beach. That you know, it was must have been three o'clock in the morning when we drove to Mount Esquinalina. It was six foot, and we took them out, and we felt like we were like not young at Honolulu Bay on the first short <laughs> And so that whole beat bottom thing started happening, and that's how that's how we we had the Maury Pope Surf Team, the Tracker Trio. That's how that started, you know. Got it. Uh, and uh, so, <clears throat> we, so what, we wrote. Go ahead. What year was that? Nineteen seventy that you you opened. Yeah, that was sixty. Maybe it was sixty-seven, but I think it was. Yeah, we opened up the shop in nineteen seventy. Seventy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got to remember me come me driving back from two years of college. And opening up a surf shop down the street from Keller's, down the street from Custom Surf Shop, it pissed both those guys off. Right. Oh, I can only imagine. Plus the fact I was opening with O'Neill, and and the customer already had O'Neill. <coughs> so, so Simo got pissed at us. And, and but you were a good surfer, and and you knew proper and all the right people to let the door. Yeah, it was all about connections, even back then, man. Yeah. It was all about connections and who you knew. And I and I, I was making a good name for myself in Florida. I was surfing as, not as good as those guys, but I was I was holding court with them, yeah. you know, there with them. And uh, so Artie was dealing some pot. We were I lived with Artie. <laughs> I the pot. I did smoke the weed, but I didn't I, inhale though. I, you didn't inhale. I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't inhale. No, I inhale for sure. <laughs> but it, what I didn't do. Is uh, I didn't deal it, but already was stealing it. You know, yeah. it was selling for fifteen dollars a lid. You know, I mean, it was a plastic bag. You know, you know. and uh, Washington so knows all about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we come back, and uh, already decides that he's going to continue selling the pot, and he's living in the in the store in a in a loft. Okay. <laughs> It's similar to like George's surf shop across the street from you guys. You know? Back in the day, yeah. It was similar to that vibe, you know. And uh, so, Demo hears about this and calls. Yeah, Artie says, "Sure." He goes, Artie doesn't know he's getting set up. Okay, now I'm living at home at the time, and <clears throat> so Artie sells Simo the pot. Simo goes to the DEA. Turns oh, us crap. Yes, and the next morning, on Mother's Day, we have nine unmarked cars with plain clothes guys walking in the store. 
like 9.30 in the morning. Uh-oh. Artie's still sleeping in his loft. But my father was there. He's in the store with me with one other customer. They walk in, they close the door, and they go, where is it? I said, where's what? He goes, where's the pot? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. They went right to the where the pot was. It was underneath the mattress where Artie was sleeping. Now, Artie was like a dummy. He had it in like a 50-bag gap. Bag a gallon bag, you know what I mean? Yeah. Looked like he had sold it all, you know. But he probably had a little pot in a 50, 50 pound bag, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so you got ratted out. We got ratted out, man, big time. And so, uh, who was the guy that ratted you out? Simo. Simo, yeah, because he didn't want competition, so he, he wanted to didn't want us to fold. Oh, so he. Wow. That's, that's a true story. There's no lies about that. Because EA told us when I was handcuffed in front of my father you know they were so dumb hot back then yeah they made, made me go in the in the bathroom and spread my cheeks and wanted to see what was up there i don't know what they thought i had what i stuck <laughs> up there or something i mean crazy they, they were thinking but you know it was quite embarrassing and i and i you know it was my, probably one of the first times i really hurt my mother yeah on, mother, on mother's day i, I got busted oh. uh, father made me sit about six hours in jail and uh, finally, he got the uh, the bail money together to get me out on Mother's Day. The, the, the bail bondsmen aren't around, you know? right? But I, it was probably good that I learned that lesson, you know. Um, yeah. And so my father said, the next day, you're out. You're, you 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 get back your money from Artie, or or whatever you got to do. But you're not going to be partners with this guy. Anymore. So I said, okay, Dad. And uh, I humbly left. Now remember, I put this deal together. Right. It, Already helped, but it was my vision to put this deal together. Your connections, your vision. My, yeah. And uh, I went off to Silverton Skiffs that was in Tom's River, and I rubbed out bubbles inside of these uh, these hulls of boats for the whole summer with resin in my lungs. And I got humbled. And uh, soon after that, I uh, went back to my father and I said, Dad, you knew it wasn't my fault. Uh, can you loan me some money? There's a surf shop in Seaside Park that's up for sale called South Island Surf Shop. And he says, what do you get for that? I said, I get space and I get to put my name on the building. And uh, my father said, yes. And uh, Wow, awesome. I opened up Frog. In fact, it's just a few days ago, May 10th, I opened up Grog's 50 years ago. Wow. Yeah. I was 19 years old. Damn. I didn't have a car. Didn't have a car. I walked to work. What did I open it up with? I duck dent surfboards, Daytona surfboards. So I, I, uh, I, I have to say that uh, back then, you know, I was looking at what Ron John was doing. So I was copying some of his stuff. He had straw, uh, straw mats that he imported from uh, the east, and these straw mats they came in squares. You would buy them by nine by twelve mats. So we put the straw, straw mats down on the floor the sand would fall through the mat you wouldn't see the sand you never had to vacuum it because it was always falling through the you know <laughs> and uh and we put on the ceiling we put uh uh tapestries we pinned it so it had like a sheik's tent look yeah walk in and it was billowing you know what i mean yeah so and we you know borrowed my mother's piano and we had a piano there with a couch so it had all this great ambiance you know what i mean and back then, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to school to be a retailer. So 
We had bird wells. What did we do? We didn't even have hangers. I couldn't afford hangers, so we would just tear the box tops off them, and I would mark 29s in this box, 30s in this one, and they would just knock through the box. You know what I mean? It's all about presentation, Grog. Yeah, yeah. It's all about being assorted, too. Yeah. So, back then, I want you to know that we were heavily into the music thing because coming from Cocoa Beach, going to see The Doors in Miami Beach, going to see Led Zeppelin, getting turned on to Jeff Beck, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and me going to all these concerts all the time. We just fell into these guys. And so I opened my store and put on below Grog's uh, smiling faces going places. Now, it sounds kind of corny, but that was a phrase from the Blood, Sweat, and Tears album. Yeah. And Billy from Brave came back, and I still believe this is the truth. Billy might say it's a different reason, but he named his store two or three years later after I opened up mine. Brave New World from the Steve Miller 1969 album. Oh. Brave yes. Uh, it had nothing to do with, you know, that the guy that wrote the book. I don't yeah. think so. I think we were all in the Steve Miller so much. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, other surf shops opened up similar to that. This guy, uh, uh, I'll think of it in a minute. He opened up Bear Wires. Okay. He got that name from uh, uh, an album with Eric Clapton. So we were all naming these uh, these stores after musical groups or, or songs in the, in the, in, in the, in the venue. Yeah. So, um, so we opened up Grogs. It's about 500 square foot. As soon as I opened it up, because it was a previous surf shop at the time, people came and, uh, and when we went and I made enough money to go to Puerto Rico during the winter Closed the store down, put a sign on the door, and said, I'll see you in the spring. And I went up to Puerto Rico. And I lived in Puerto Rico for $45 a month uh, with a guy named Froggy. And we surfed uh, and walked up and down the hill. Uh, no car with my with my boards. And uh, spent the winter in Puerto Rico. It was wonderful. It was a great experience. We, we lived in this place with... With a uh, cold shower, uh, uh, no mosquito nets, and uh, and she served me rice and beans every day. And one day, one day I came back and uh, I saw these feathers on the, on my path back to my little little house. And uh, I went up to her and I said, uh, "What am I eating?" She says, "Oh, oh, you've been eating uh, pigeon." I said, "Pigeon." <laughs> she said, "I knew the legs looked a little small." She served me pigeon with rice and beans. Yeah, that is awesome. So, yeah. Grog, how much did you do it at Grog's Surf Shop? That first surf shop. How much? Because uh, you were only open three months out of the year, just during yeah. the summer. I tell you that it, I, don't, I can't tell you that I knew the volume of dollars that I was doing when we first opened up. I don't remember that at all. You know, uh, there wasn't a register. There was a, a box. Yeah. You know, <laughs> It was before credit cards. I do remember me, my, my phone in the store was a pay phone. <laughs> they had pay phones inside the store? Inside the store, and they would call you on the pay phone. Yeah. This is like wow. his, was so, it Was it common for surf shops to close, like, part part of the year? Yes, it was. Yeah, because it was super, super cold. And, 
to traffic but, our t- tourist holidays. I, I wasn't a dummy. I didn't do that more than one time. I just did it the first time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so let me let me think what happened next. So, uh, so because of the traveling, because of my my uh, my uh, love for Puerto Rico, love for Puerto Rico, my working with Simo, uh, Simo, I learned a lot from Simo. Simo brought in a lot of surfboards from different people in Puerto in, in California. A lot of the times he wasn't paying for these boards. Okay, uh, he would rip these guys off. Uh, he, he was like the Chuck Dent of the East Coast. You know, <laughs> I, I remember one day I walked in and he he was talking to somebody in California. He had a knife on the counter and he kept jabbing it like he was jabbing the guy on the phone. You know, and, you come get your money. I dare you to come get your money. Wow. Is this the same guy that ratted you out? Yes. It's the same guy that ratted me out. So, so, so you kept your so, friends close, but your enemies nearer? Yes. So we were into the shortboard era. It was 19. It was, uh, we were riding like six eights uh, and, or, and below. And uh, I was going to go to California to find all the best papers and the best boards. Okay. Oh, I went to your neck of the woods, Huntington. Yeah, HB. With plastic, fantastic. Right. So I went there every single year to to find what's the best, you know. And and you know, Jacks, he he was alive at the time, and George was there, and so I would walk in, and I, and I know all the guys on the on the block, and and uh, I remember once one time that I went there to to find the best boards, and uh, somebody took me off to uh, a pool in West Huntington somewhere. I didn't know who I was with. And I said, you got to come with us. we got to go skating. I said, okay, let's go. So we went off to this pool and it was drained. And there was Kenny Means and Tony Alba. Wow. And it was like, I was, I didn't even know who these guys were at the time, but it also left a seed in my, in my, in my mind to do something similar to that. And later on, I, I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, so I went to Huntington and I met David Nueva. Okay. And, he was all his boards were being shaped by Terry Martin at the time, and uh, I wanted his boards because uh, because of what he because he was just an incredible surfer, you yeah. know. He was to me he fit me of the surf star. Yeah, he is a surf star, you know. I mean, sure. he he partied with Jimi Hendrix, man. Yeah, and knows everybody. What was that movie that he was in? Uh, Rainbow Bridge. Rainbow, yeah, Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, yeah. so. Uh, so David and I uh, got together, and I and I ended up getting his boards, and we sold. I'm swear to God, man, we sold thousands of fishes. In 1972, uh-huh. I wrote a, I wrote the same fish for 10 years. In fact, I have it hanging on my wall now. You'll have to take a picture of that for us. Picture of the board. It doesn't look like the same anymore. We carved it. But uh, so that was one of the many brands that I brought into the shop. We drove from San Diego to uh to santa cruz and we had boards from everybody uh who was the other guy from huntington beach uh the rocket fish uh, you guys are supposed to know this plastic stuff plastic fantastic <laughs> i didn't carry plastic fantastic they were sold prior to me opening up my store but uh wind and uh, sea by Beatty, Clyde Beatty, rocket fish do you remember clyde Beatty or very here i've heard of clyde Beatty. yeah 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 the narrow nose fishes, 
and they were Clyde Beatty's, and then there were the round nose boards, and they were David Nueva's. And you know, we all know the story. You know, so David didn't discover the fish. The guy named in San Diego discovered the fish. You know, and uh, was it Steve but, Liss? Steve Liss, yeah. yes. So we we're down there, and we were carrying. Uh, we got Gordon and Smith because at that time Keller's, for whatever reason, I think folded. So I ended up inheriting the brand, and I sold GNSs for many, many years. And uh, so, and then I drove. Uh, I followed this guy named uh, Jim Overland. You ever hear Jim Overland? Yeah, it sounds familiar. So Jim Overland and Tom Overland were two guys from uh, the Bay Area, and they decided to get out of L.A. and drive to Santa Cruz. So they were the first pioneers of the Santa Cruz scene, like Jack O'Neill, of course, and uh, and Jack and, and Doug House. So I had Doug House, Jim Overland from Santa Cruz, and Jimmy uh, uh, and Thomas. Uh, Thomas Surfwood, I forgot his name. And uh, so I had boards from all over California, Huntington Beach, Santa Cruz, Cruz, and San Diego. So we had many different approaches to the sport of surfing. Yeah. Now, would you uh, drive out to California or fly and then drive back your shipments or just get them shipped? I drove drove once uh, to California with Artie, and that was the last time I ever drove to California. Screw that. <laughs> By the time you get to California with a guy after five days, you hate his guts. You know? So you were just building relationships. You didn't like travel at the board. You just have them shipped when they're ready. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so what? Uh, what year, um, Grog? Like, obviously, you saw the potential of like what those other guys were doing, and and go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna branch out on my own too. And develop my own like uh, selection, right? Your own selection right. for for your shop. What what uh, what year was it where you got like saying, "Holy shit, I have a, a healthy, strong business"? Like second year in, third year in. Uh, yeah, I would say probably once the Nueva thing took off. Once David Nueva started to take off, I was up and running because demo. Who was so pissed off that I was carrying David's boards? He just <laughs> that knocked the, the logo off, and he would make his own boards. So he made David the wave of boards down the street with the big eagle on them, and he was that <laughs> I was, and they were knockoffs. <laughs> he was, was chucked like, in of that that yeah, side of the. <laughs> it was like amazing what he got away with, you know what I mean? So uh, and then he opened up another shop closer to me to hurt me, and he opened up a skate park and. I mean, Joe wasn't a dumb guy. He was pretty smart. Yeah. He just didn't follow the rules. He just broke all rules. So, but, uh, but surfboards were that, I mean, your main source of income at the shop. So you had to like get, have the best brands and, and that was your livelihood. Yes, it was my livelihood. And, uh, and I, and I learned a lot of stuff from Huntington. And so we decided we opened up a 500 square foot building. I ended up buying the rest of the build. Uh, I rented at the time. I bought the rest of the building. And then I bought the rest of the block, and dude, uh, and uh, we we were off and running, and uh, and then we decided that we would separate the surfboards from the clothing. So how we how did you finance this, Grog? The bank. We would borrow the money every summer. We would borrow money in May, pay for the inventory, and by August we would have already had it paid off. Wow, sick. Yeah. So uh, there was nothing illegal going on. I was I was totally you know legal you about it. You weren't selling drugs on the side. No, we didn't sell any drugs on the side. Wink, wink. <laughs> no, <laughs> that 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 ended after that that first run in. 
Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. I learned the lesson. I not even getting that shit. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. Plus, you had Simba that you had to watch out for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. I was always, always. So, uh, next big brand that I sold a lot was uh, Nectar. Wow. Oh, yeah. Gary McNabb. And, yeah, McNabb. I just spoke to McNabb the other day. No way. Uh, yeah, he. I just called him up, or he called me, and he said, uh, how you doing? I said, uh, I'm doing okay, man. He goes, well, dude, I, I don't know what's going on, but I, I keep looking over my shoulder for the Grim Reaper. <laughs> you know, but. But until that time comes, I'm going out and searching for a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> that was our conversation. That's so but funny. Uh, so Gary uh, had a lot of insight. I met him. I don't. I don't remember where I met him exactly. Maybe at Surf Expo. Uh, he had come over from the West Coast, and we hit it off together. Good. We had some beers and etc. And uh, I carried his first twin fins, and uh, he had this guy named. Uh, he was the first guy to introduce to the uh, surf world uh, airbrush. Oh, really? Yes. So he had the first airbrush boards to exotic states, okay, huh. where he had the hookers on the bottom of the boards. And, you know, he had Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, before there was backyard. Full artwork. Before backyard boards and before anybody, uh, he had the main guy, this guy, uh, Lund, Henry Lund was the artist so he took him from florida brought henry lund to encinitas and built all these boards with all this airbrush so all, if you look back in all these books you'll notice that most of them are nectars wow so all of a sudden not only did i have a good brand that and remember now this is before simon anderson right the twin fins that he airbrushed and they were just works of art so different than just basic layups with pin lines that you know, everybody just wanted this stuff, you know. So we just ran with, with Nectar for, for years, uh, selling thousands of boards from Nectar. Wow. And then when the Trifin came around, it just added to the whole thing. Yeah. And he was like one of the first shapers to really embrace uh, the thruster out here yeah. in California. Because he got it together with Simon. Yeah. And some hit a deal. And that's and, and, and that's that's what really put Gary over over the top with surfboards. Yeah. And, I still think he's a very, very good shaper. Yeah. So the other side, during this time, these these 70s-type things, uh, years, my brother and I uh, were world travelers still, and we started leaving Puerto Rico. We had enough for Puerto Rico after 10 years. So from between the years of 66 and 76, we went to Puerto Rico. Now, probably around 74, maybe, my brother went off to Australia. Wow. With, uh, with Kevin Casey. I didn't go. He went. And he came back with stories of, of you know. Perfect point breaks. Point breaks. That would be a belief, yes. Topless beaches. Go, go, Goldie, like Gold Coast to uh, Gold. Sydney? Everything from. Uh, from uh, Bells, Victoria. Yeah, he surfed it all. So, uh, but Puerto Rico, we had to go to Hawaii. We had to go. So. We ended up going to Hawaii either in 74 or 76. I, I think it was 74. <clears throat> Maybe no, it was 76. So we get to Puerto, we get to Hawaii, and it was nothing like Puerto Rico. It's even the biggest waves at Trace Pond are just average days at, at, at sunset. Wow. And remember now, 
no leashes. We're paddling out at sunset for the first time. We didn't even have the right equipment. We got there, and the only thing we knew was lightning bolt, lightning bolt. And we knew about lightning bolt because my brother was selling lightning bolt jewelry and clothing up and down the East Coast back in the early 70s. Was he repping it? He was repping it. He was one of the first reps, my brother. He, in fact, my brother made one of the first leashes, to, the leather leashes. With wow. Bus. Yeah, he was, he was way ahead. So uh, he was selling lightning bolt clothing. Uh, we, I had lightning bolt surfboards in the store. We get to Hawaii. We meet Lopez. Lopez tells us to go into town and buy these boards from Shipley. Shipley. Jack Shipley. Jack Shipley. And uh, so we go in and we buy the boards at full ticket prices. We don't look at who's shaping the boards at the moment. We don't realize that the guy shaping the boards is a guy named Tom Parrish. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Tom Parrish shaped these boards. They were seven sixes, eight footers, because you couldn't paddle out at sunset without a board that big. You, you couldn't come down the face. And uh, so we paddled out. We sat in the channel for probably an hour and a half. <laughs> we scared, we scared to death. And I see this guy paddling over to me uh and it's sean thompson sean taking off on every single wave he's just blowing up the face him and reno and we're just you know so uh we come in and we say you know we're staying here so we stayed for like month two months my brother would go there for like three or four months most of those guys did the same thing yeah and we're there at the same time that busting out the door was yeah, going. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. But we were not as good as those guys. We were, you know, second to your back. But we were surfing in the same spots they were surfing, you know. So we were surfing it off the wall. We were surfing back door. I wasn't a, I wasn't a backside guy for pipeline, so I didn't surf pipe. But I surfed Sunset. I surfed a lot of Jockos with Jock, with, with Jock's other one. I surfed uh, 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 Lonnie's, uh, Himalayas, Chun's. So we were there uh, all the time. We rented houses and we stayed the whole winter. So and, you got uh, comfortable in the big stuff then, huh? We got comfortable. We didn't surf Wyoming, man. I, I I never had the balls for that kind of stuff. My brother had bigger balls than I did, and uh, so I would. But I was a dope. I would sit on the inside, and get cleaned up all the time, just wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the big stuff, but I'm gonna get caught in by the big yeah. stuff. <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I paddled that. I could have caught the same way I was catching on the inside, but earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so uh, we got close to Tom Paris, and uh, I went up to him one day and I said, "Listen, why don't you come back and shape me some boards? I'll pay for your way back." And uh, so I didn't have a shaper's shaping stall at the store, but I built one. And, wow. Uh, I flew. I flew Tom Parrish back, and uh, he built uh, twenty-five boards. Now at that time. Uh, we didn't want his rhino chasers. We wanted his shortboard versions. Right. So he would just make fins and single fins were clear. Up. And uh, and he's, he was living at my house with me uh, soon after I had gotten divorced. Now, I married this girl from Cocoa Beach. I had my oldest son named Tyler with, with her. We had gotten divorced. And, uh, and I was living on M Street. And Tom was living with me. And uh, we were selling. We sold like fifty of his boards right there. Wow. We had him. We had him glassed in Lakewood uh, at this place called Eastern uh, something. And uh, so, so, had anybody done that before, Grog? Like fly a shaper out and? Nobody had done that before. Yeah, I so was, that's 
first guys to do that. That's awesome. But, you know, as big as Tom Parrish was. Nobody knew a, who he was. Nobody knew who he was. Yeah. All of a sudden, Nat Young is driving up the East Coast and he stops at the store. And I look at Tom and Tom's like in awe of Nat Young. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> so Tom, now remember now, I was paying Tom about $150 to shape back then. And the blanks were costing us 100 We glassed them. We had to sell the board for $450. So at that time, we jacked up the price about $200 more than they had ever been sold anywhere. So wow. we were selling boards much more expensive. We, we actually broke the, 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 the threshold to sell a surfboard for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but we sold them all. And then all of a sudden, that comes to town. And I'm... It, and, and and Tom is in awe of Nat, and Nat says, "I said, can you shape me some boards?" Tom's here, and he goes, "Sure, I'll shape fifty dollars each." I said, "You're shaping it for fifty dollars. I'm paying Tom. Tom, I'm, I'm you. Something's wrong with this picture." But uh, of course, Nat's boards look totally different than Tom's. You know, they were they were thick and they were wide and they were so. Were they doing any customs or were they just straight like what you felt like no, you needed oh, for the shop? We were doing customs, yeah. yeah. I would let these guys come in because at that time, most people never saw anybody ever shape a board. You know? So well, that well, and you can charge a premium for a custom. You know, it's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to make it how you like it. That's probably the first that they, they could ever get. What yes. was your form of uh, advertising? So back then, the form of advertising was the Grog's T-shirt. Uh, we got this logo uh, uh, with the, I don't know if you've ever seen the logo. I think I have a, uh, a screenshot of it on my computer. I, I pulled some, some content about yeah. your, your there, past. There was a guy in California. Uh, maybe I'll think of his name. He was an artist out there, and he, he, he designed the logo. Uh, there was some collaboration with a guy named Greg Lore. You ever hear of that guy? Yeah famous surfer from florida yeah and there was a similar logo greg had retired the logo and i inherited the logo and there it is it. that's not it no no that's the second version oh surf palace it wasn't called surf palace at that time it was still called grog's so uh, grog how did you like advertise um tom Parrish coming out you just brought him out well, and then word of mouth spread well, we had a, uh, a recorder at the store. We we were one of the first ones on the East Coast to have a, a, a surf a surf report every day, mm. and uh, and so these guys would call the recorder, and I and I would tell them that Tom Parrish was coming, and and uh, and so on and so forth. But a lot of it was word of mouth, man. Yeah. You know? uh, and and then I also got very heavily into flying the plane that would we rented this plane out of uh, Lakewood and they would put the banners on the back of the plane and we would fly them up and down. Got and that it. Was, oh yeah. The beach, the beach banner plane. Beach, yeah. Today it's about 450. Back then it was $500, uh, $50 to do it. You know? <laughs> so, but it hit a lot of people. I mean, you're sitting at the beach, you, you read it. You oh, actually yeah. do. It still works today. I yeah. still use it today. So, uh, so, uh, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> your logo, your logo and, and um, Tom Parrish, Tom Nat, Parrish. Nat Young. So those guys left. 
And, uh, uh, and soon after that, I decided that I was going to uh, have a contest, uh, uh, first pro contest. Now, I there was Caden was having their pro contest. She was having her contest in in California. She Find was one beach. of the first. Yeah, she was probably I think the first one to actually pay money for a contest. Uh, and then some guys in Florida, uh, they were doing two. So I was probably in the third row. There you go. <laughs> Ten thousand dollars. That came. That came after like the third one. Okay. So. Uh, <clears throat> So we decided to have this contest. I networked with myself with Sean Thompson. Uh, oh, wow. Sean and I, Sean and I actually had a small company together named Youngblood. And in that Youngblood company, him and I were selling um, uh, T-shirts and leashes and assorted stuff. Hold on so a second. I, Sean Thompson? Sean Thompson and I had a small company named Youngblood. Get the uh, hell out of here. Yeah, because I wanted Sean's boards. I had to have his boards. So I, you got to remember, I, I, I was going after all these guys. Yeah, man. yeah. Whatever they were riding, I wanted. So to have Sean a, Thompson was shaping boards, and you wanted. He was he, bringing them in from uh, uh, South Africa. They were Spider Murphy's boards. Spider Murphy, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we got his single fins in the store, and then uh, Terry Martin started making his boards, and so on and so forth. But uh, so Sean and I became really good buddies. He used to stay at my house a lot. And we had this small little company. It only lasted a year or two years. You call it young blood. Still it's cool, a great though. little uh, piece of history right there, though. Yeah. I mean, how many other how many other people have ever had a company with Sean Thompson? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I like so, the name Young Blood. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So uh, is that from a song? <laughs> no. Think about it. Young Blood. The name of this group, Young Bloods. There you, there you go. go. Another music thing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We're all engulfed in this music. Yeah. So, uh, so we decided to have this contest, and I talked to PT, and I talked to Robin, and I talked to Randy Rarick, and Randy uh, decides that this is what we have to have. We have to have about ten thousand dollars to be approved. Um, and I had been running a, a small little contest prior to that uh, for like fifty dollars. I mean, five hundred dollars to the winner. And 50, everybody would get money. Okay. But these guys wanted like 10 grand and they said, well, you gotta, you know, you'll be a part of the tour. We'll fly from, uh, we'll fly from France. We'll fly right in to see you through New York, going back to Hawaii. This was in, so I said, okay, late June, it was perfect for us because uh, it was the start of the summer. The waves were better up until July 1st. So there was always like this last swell in June before it would go flat for like a month. Because July is never really a good month to uh, to surf in New Jersey. So we put the contest together, and uh, these guys show up. And uh, I had this friend of mine named uh, Johnny Mack, and uh, he had a hotel. We put everybody up at the hotel down there. And uh, my brother had this incredible water slide called Rainbow Rapids. And, you guys, uh, you guys had it all. Yeah, you had this whole town locked yeah, down. My brother built the water slide similar to the way you would bank off a wave. So at every turn, you would be flipping up. <laughs> up, up. They're made, made out of cement. 
so you could get hurt. We had rubber rafts. So these guys all came to town, and where did they want to go? They wanted to go to these this water slide, this Rainbow Rapids thing. So they, we, we, Chris knocked it off for the evening, and all these guys went out surfing on this. So you had guys like Larry Bertelman flying down. He didn't even need a raft. His feet are so wide, he was surfing down the thing, you know. And uh, they loved it. They just they absolutely loved it. So I had the in, intuitive ability to call Good Morning America. What? In, what? Yeah, Good Morning America in New York City. and uh, For your first contest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I got these best surfers from around the world. Come come check it yeah, out. Come into town because there was a movie named Free Ride. Do you remember that yeah. movie? Yeah. Yeah, Free yeah. Ride was huge. So Free Ride, and, these, and Sean was in it and so on and so forth. And, they, and, and Bugsy wanted to, uh, 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 you know, promote it. So we, we drove to New York City that night. Uh, that morning we got on we got i was sitting in the green room and uh, bugsy was so nervous that he i think he puked before he came on but rabbit listen, rabbit yeah yeah i think he, he puked behind the scenes and uh but he got on and they were they really impressed these guys on tv they wow. really loved it they loved it and of course they talked about the contest where they were going the next day so it was like a natural yeah the next day, a lot of people showed up at the beach to see these guys, and uh, so and like like Q, uh, the waves were great, man. It wasn't giant; it was straight offshore and perfect. Wow! And, uh, and uh, so uh, I remember a couple things that from that contest that were important to note that uh, uh, um, that was the right before the black the black the black black trunk guys were the, uh, the, the hooey. Ro- yeah the hooey right before the hooey so the bronze Aussies showed up so it was Shane Horan PT uh, Ian Cairns yeah and Mark those, Warren Mark, Mark Warren one of them left left but uh, Mark was there too so Ian was a big guy and uh, he was in a in a heat with Michael Ho and uh they were bugging each other in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking so, the contest? At, at your contest. Same contest. Okay. Same contest. And uh, so uh, they paddled for a wave together. And uh, Ian's had enough. Now now, Michael's going to take off on him. So what is Ian does? He goes over and they're paddling neck and neck. And he puts his arm around Michael's head and gets him in a headlock. Shut so he up. Take, so he can't take off. Takes off. <laughs> Full wrestling move right there. Full wrestling. So Reno's on the beach, and Reno goes, that's unfair, that's unfair. You're, <laughs> you're going to die in Hawaii. You're going to die. Now, we're very close to the break, so everybody can hear what's going on. Yeah. You're going to die in Hawaii. So I look over at Rarick, and I said, what are we going to do, dude? <laughs> so hold on a second. You had all these heavy world-class surfers at your contest yes you got yeah. on good morning america yes and and had good waves and you had michael ho and oh. ian cards yeah ian cairns okay we got <laughs> we had jeff crawford we had uh mike uh owens bobby owens <coughs> buzzy kerbox dang you are all there man yeah that's amazing. It's ama- it was amazing. So uh, so I look at Rarick and Rarick says, "We got to hold the heat again. 
<laughs> so uh, Reno's pacing on the beach, you know, you're going to die. And hope. Why, that's, you know, gone overboard with Michael Ho, you know. So, so uh, was that before they got beat but, up or was that after? No, that was after. So we ran the heat again. Of course, Ian lost and Michael Michael won. And then and then a local guy named Kevin Casey beat Michael and put him out. So uh, uh, and we and, and then eventually not dig on this, but all the publicity and all the good stuff that's going on. Right. The day of the finals, the town says, you guys are going to get kicked off the beach. There's too many people that want to pay to get on the beach. Uh, now, what? I'm, I'm running a contest. There's people from all over the world here. <clears throat> We're on Good Morning America, and they're going to kick us off the beach. So, who, who has authority? Like the mayor? Or who, like, yeah, who? Guy named you, uh, Boyd. You, Boyd. So the Boyds were the big shots in the town. They were the lifeguards. Got they eventually were super nice guys. But this guy John Boyd didn't see any vision in what I was doing. He couldn't understand what was happening. He just thought that we were rebels again, like we always the surf. You know. The, the bad boys are always the surfers, you know? Yeah. So I called Seaside Park where my store was, and I said, can we have the contest there? They said, sure. So what You had to move the event? We moved the event within two hours. We had the event going on in Seaside Park, and everybody showed up, and the finals ended up being, uh, oh, who is it? Pat Mulherrn against Rapid Bartholomew. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he was uh, Pat Mulhern's a, a East uh, Florida guy, he, right? Those guy, and his father was uh, MTB. 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 Yeah. Mulhern, Takiyama, and Brum and, and Brumman. Emporium, right? MTB Emporium. Yeah, yeah, that's in Cocoa Beach, but yeah. uh, in the Atlantic. But the the boards used to be made in California. MTB. Yeah. So, uh, so that was an incredible ending. A rabbit won it, and he, you know, whatever he got, and. Uh, and then we had another another contest a year later, and I think Dane won it, Dane Kailoa. And uh, and that was it for my contest. After two years or three years, I uh, was at, we, we had the, the, the amateur kind of contest in the beginning. Then we had the, the, the inexpensive money, the, the, the money that didn't really matter. And then we had the real deal. And then I, then I decided not to do any more contests after a while for whatever reason. Dude. Yeah, it's probably expensive to run. Yeah, you know, a lot to put on. It took a lot of time and energy putting that together. But oh, one other guy I wanted to mention who showed up at the contest was uh, Art Brewer. You remember Art yeah. Brewer? The, yeah, the photographer. Yeah, so he took all the pictures at that time. So That's the awesome. cast was incredible when you think about it. The cast was incredible. Man, I, for you to pull off something like that your first go-around, that's unheard of. Yeah, usually. Usually it takes like one or two contests for people to go, oh, that guy's serious. He he really wants to put something together. He, it's worth my time going there, right? Like but what just you pulled putting, off putting was surfing phenomenal. on the map there. Big contest. Yeah, it was. Uh, and uh, we called it uh, the Seaside Pro. Seaside Pro. Seaside Pro, yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing because that probably – solidified your position in the surf scene right and and being the most i guess authentic iconic shop and and you know curator of surf in in that area yeah but you know i I have to be honest with you i never thought i was doing it uh i i didn't i didn't think about like for the fame of it i just it was, I was just walking through the, my, my gut, yeah. you know, my, my gut feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Well, you, you were doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, you, but, you wanted to hang out with the best of the best and, and yeah. promote your shop and make some money at the same time. It's it's kind bring, of a no-brainer. Yeah, and bring these guys to the locals so the locals would be psyched. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. God, these guys were actually in our town. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just working with the, what was it, the IPS or whatever before ASP and, and getting them on the schedule to where it made sense for these guys to come through. And I mean, yeah. all of that logistics stuff logistics is, is, is hard. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the contests, I have to remember this. So I'm selling these uh, boards called Hot Stuff. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, Greg uh, Edelman, uh, what was the shape of Edelman? Uh, Elderman. Greg Elderman. Yeah, I don't remember. He was a production shaper. He was a good shaper, and he yeah. built all the boards. So we had uh, – uh, He Robert. had like the WB logo. That's right. Yeah, that, the cartoon that, WB logo. Warner Brothers told Bugsy, you got to stop that or we're going to sue you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so, uh, so well, we had uh, Gary Kong Elkerton. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Kong. Kong. Now, imagine this. He builds his reputation – for Kong, all right? And you remember, now the contest is there. All these guys are coming to the store. We're having autograph sessions nonstop, hour after hour. The first hour is this guy. Everybody shows up at the shop for autographs, 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 every hour on the hour. So I got the plane running down the beach, right, with Kong at 2 p.m., the Frog Surf Palace. <laughs> he didn't like the fact that I put Kong up there. What? But he named That's his nickname. Nickname. And he doesn't show up for the autograph session because I didn't put Gary Elkerton in there. I, I said, you're done with it. Yeah. I'm not going to. You know, he's a prima donna. And uh, I think, remember, he, he might have been in that transition mode where he didn't want to be called Kong anymore. He wanted yeah. to be called Elko. Remember that? <laughs> Elko. Elko. What a dork. <laughs> <laughs> so... So then as, as the story continues, um, Chris and I, my brother, <clears throat> we decide that we're going to start it, traveling to Europe. Oh, okay. Early on in the 80s, we decided we were going to go to... Hasegor? Uh, Hasegor uh, and Beiritz. Uh, so we go over there and uh, we just, we were in heaven, man. It was like something that we, beside the culture, right? Beside the wine, beside the food, the desserts, beside the fashion and the women, and it was just like the had best. It, all. it was like it had it all. And yeah, you come from where I'm from, from New York, uh, New Jersey, New York connection. We've got a lot of energy around us, you know. What I mean, yeah. and there's a lot. So we're more. I was never a guy that was just like a regular surfer kind of guy that dressed like a surfer. I never was that guy at night i dressed up you know what i mean yeah and so we we went to paris and we were in heaven with the fashion and stuff you know and uh but there was another company that was doing something similar to this at the time and this was a company named gotcha <laughs> i uh i didn't know michael thompson was doing something similar to i was and somewhere in the early 80s i think that's when it was uh i had met these two guys uh, Joel Cooper and Michael Thompson. Yeah, in in L.A. at the uh, at the uh, menswear show, and uh, I liked them. Uh, I had seen Michael in Hawaii, and uh, 
So you guys knew of each other prior to? We knew of each other prior, and uh, he had a small line, and I took the line in. And uh, I put line, and we made a lot of money together with Gotcha. And I became very, very close. Huh. Joel Cooper, Michael Thompson, and I, and all notes were very close. Still are. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, so I got behind them because their look was different than what Quicksilver was doing. Their look was different than what Billabong was doing. Their look was very different. Yeah. And it was a little bit hipper. And it had Did you hear that? No, can you repeat that again? Their look was what? At Gotcha. Yep. They had this Sean Stussy working for them. Yeah. Oh, so Sean Stussy worked for Gotcha before he launched Stussy? That's Got so, it. I'm going to Hawaii, and uh, uh, my board, and I said, "What board is it?" He's seven force politics made by this guy named Sean Stussy. So he lends me this board, and I take it out. It's the board worked really good. Yeah. So I said, "Who is this guy, Sean Stussy?" He go, he's really. You know, he's, he's pretty hip, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this is right before Sean left to do his own thing. Yeah. So soon after that, I call Sean, Stussy, that is. I call Stu, and we got his brand in. Now, his brand at that time was the total opposite of what Gotcha was doing. His brand yeah. was more like Ruka today. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, more uh, urban, uh, more lifestyle, not right. so surf. But he had the logo that was so unique. The logo was so unique. That no matter what he put it on, it, it sold. sold. Yeah. So, inside the gotcha stuff that was that was hip and, and, and city looking and, and much hipper than most most brands. Stussy was also a new brand for us, and we ran with the hats and the t-shirts, and those two brands just went off. It was incredible business at that time in the eighties with that yeah. stuff. Yeah. But that's that's when it, when the transition of business went from like. Strictly hard goods driven, right. you know, the money maker to now you had apparel, which, right. you know, was always part of the, you know, Quicksilver, Billabong, the, the pod, gotcha, but that's Stussy. when it really took off. But then there were other, there's some other brands that I was, I was proud to introduce into my store. These brands you guys probably don't know, but there were two brands that branched out beyond uh, the surf market for guys that wanted to not dress like surfers at night. Okay, oh. so like say if you were going to LA or something, you yeah. Know? yeah. And these brands were called Morona and Genera. Wow. I remember Genera, but not Monora, Mon- Morona. 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 They had the first beach pants. Think of this: the elastic waisted beach pants before Stussy. Yes. <laughs> beach pant, and and with a with a uh, elastic cuff, with a pin line. Going uh, uh, like a pin line going down the side, like a, a piping, right? Like, piping. But, like a suit, like a tuxedo suited pant. That's right, exactly. Uh, so, uh, so I ran with these companies and we did really, really good with all this stuff. We were mixing surf with fashion and it was just, it was working for my store. You, you, yeah. you got the product out of the box, so you, you're afforded, you're, you're able to afford hangers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then, uh, 
we got some, I guess we had started getting some reputation and New York started calling us. And uh, What? Yes. So uh, Ralph Lauren called us. They wanted to be part of the surf scene in the 80s. Right. So they, they wanted props. So I said, what do you mean? We, didn't want, well, we need the 40 surfboards. We want to rent them from you. I said, okay. Wow. I got 40 used boards. They want to just stick them someplace, you know. Uh, Macy's called. Bloomingdale's called. Huh. They they all wanted these props, these surfboards, because they wanted to be a part of what we were doing. The problem with it is that some of these guys, like especially Ralph Lauren, they had so deep pockets. It didn't matter what the cost was. Yeah. I wanted I wanted forty dollars a day to rent it, right, <laughs> for a month. And I thought, you want to rent fifty boards for a month at forty dollars a day? I said it's cheaper to buy them. They go, we don't want them. <laughs> so I drove them up there, and they paid me. The rental fee of forty dollars. Good for you. That is amazing. That is unbelievable. At that time, Macy's uh, decided to drive nails through the board, so they had to pay for theirs. <laughs> so they prop them up in the store or in the in the shop windows and promote like the summertime gear. Ralph wanted the wax on it. Ralph wanted. They didn't want it to. You know, they wanted the, like the authentic stuff. That was part of his look. You know. What I yeah. Mean? The rough and tough and and. Uh, it was a guy named Buzzy Kerbox that I was out. Oh, yeah. Company. Yeah. So he he was uh, Ralph was at the beach. And uh, I, I don't know if Buzzy agrees with this, but from what I understood, uh, he met Ralph Lauren uh, at the beach, the Grogs contest. And he, he end, ended up signing his deal. No way. Of the, because of the conspiracy at the time. Yeah. You're saying uh, Buzzy got his his. He uh, was back. He was founded at the Grogs. No way. He had nothing to do with it other than right. the fact that Ralph must have been at the beat. Somebody was there. As yeah. Just think how much money that guy made, Buzzy. Uh, I don't know, man, but he was, he had the look. He yeah. Had the look. I love that guy, by the way. I, 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 well, you know, yeah. I haven't done in a long time. He's still ripping. I saw him in Nicaragua uh, two summers ago. Uh, okay. Yeah. Where do you go in Nicaragua? Um, You've heard of that place called Mark and Dave's? Oh, yeah. So Dave's one of our best friends. Uh So we stay there quite a bit. I've been doing a lot of El Salvador lately. Nice. Yeah, I'm staying over at Casa de Mar and surfing uh, the pool. Nice. So you guys just went, right? Like you and Luke and... uh... Uh, Yeah, me and Luke went. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we like doing the guy thing taking off and doing the, the guy thing yeah uh, so go, if you want to go into that vein uh for a second uh i got remarried i had three more kids you know those are the loves of my life my current wife but uh, there's tyler there's lucas there's danielle and then there's dylan wow tyler and lucas are fitness Tyler opened up Shaded Vision Surf Shop. Uh, excuse me, he's not a surf shop. It's a it's a clothing uh, sunglasses. Yeah. So he talking all the hip brands, and then Lucas opened up Wanda Lust and Asbury and the Seagirt. Yeah, and I'm pretty proud of those guys, man. Yeah, they're, they're doing cool. a great job. My daughter went off uh, and uh, is a buyer from a, a 450 store chain in the southeast called City Trends. She, I've she's heard of really, them. You know, she's doing very good for herself. Yeah. She lives in Asbury, too. Uh, and then my son, Dylan, works with me here at Billabong. Uh, and uh, he's the youngest one. So nice. they all got 
of deals. And I never pushed them to do any of this stuff. They did it on their own. You know? Well, they, they, they saw, you know, the lifestyle. They saw what, you know, what it provided and the travel and, and everything, you know, every, you know, everything. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've been taking them to Surf Expo and six months years old. Yeah. In their little <laughs> roller, you know, so uh, they've been doing it. So, so going back where, you know, the eighties were the eighties and, uh, uh, we surfed and then, and then we discovered after France and all that stuff there, we discovered Tabarua. Oh man. There in 82 with Rusty Preisendorfer. Oh, lucky. Because Rusty and I became close friends when he left uh, uh, and went out on his own. I flew to California that night because I wanted to steal the deal with Rusty. Because uh, he left, uh, what was the name of his Canyon. company? Canyon, right. Yeah. But when he left Canyon, I said, I got to have Rusty's. Sean Thompson called me. You got to get can You got to get Rusty's because this thing's going to blow up. And I said, I'm off to California that night. And I signed the deal. So I had it in New Jersey. So wow. we to have did, did he have uh, Mark Ocalupo on the team yet? Not yet, but he no. eventually did. And yeah. then we did. So we did the Sean Thompson era. We did the uh, Nectar era. We did the David Nuevo era. We did the Southern era, and that was uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Rusty. Rusty era, yeah. So yeah. We, and the Rusty thing took off. Yeah, that so, was a, a solid. That was pretty much one of the only brands that pulled off a, a surfboard company with a clothing company. Yes. Yes. Right. Like I don't <laughs> think there's really any other. Well, brands. maybe they was. Maybe they were the start of doing that, where you could actually use the shaper name, similar to Lightning Bolt, what they did. Yeah. Uh, and you did, where, where you start with the surfboard, and then you end up with the clothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'd buy versa. Sort of like what Lost did, too. You know what I mean? Today. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so then uh, we're, we're still in the 80s, and uh, things are going real well. And then all of a sudden, in 89... New York City decides to dump their sewage mm. and metal is in the ocean. And wow. in, in August 1, all these neat float up to the beach. Like the pandemic today, they closed the beaches for a whole month. Wow. Oof. I lost a million dollars in gross in one month because Seaside was dead. Nobody could go to the beach. If you in walk, the middle of summer? Yes. Oh. 89, August. Uh, walking the beach and getting the needle, which you don't know what's in it, stuck in your foot. Or your foot, or you're surfing in it. It was, blood bags were washing up. It was disgusting, man. Wow. And that was the summer. And, and, then, and then for some reason, somewhere in 87, 89, the bubble broke in the 80s. And so we started sliding backwards. And uh, I started to reel. I had opened up a surf shop in, in, in Tom's River. I opened up one in Point Pleasant Beach. Uh, Billy and I were competing against each other heavily uh, in Point Pleasant Beach. Uh, my ego got a little bit out of control. Uh, I was probably spending more money than I was making. We were flying all over the place. I was, I was not in a good place. I was not in a good place mentally, healthy-wise. Uh, I, I have to admit I was probably partying too much. And uh, I was taking things for granted. And it started reeling. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, I uh, try to think if I left anything out before this, but uh, it was, you know, it was a bad time in my life. And uh, I got divorced and I lost everything, my property, my store. I wow. swear I had no money whatsoever. Nothing, what? nothing, nothing saved, nothing. I wasn't a saver ever, you know, and uh, it just, I wasn't thinking straight. There, there was a time there in my life that I wasn't thinking straight. And there was no salvage that happened that quick. It happened. Well, I, other surf shops started opening up to the north of me. Uh, Brave, Brave became very strong. Uh, they cut me off from the north. I was on the end of tail end of a lot of an island. Uh, Seaside Heights was getting people with uh, that were on public assistance uh, moved into the town, so they would live there in the winter time. So there was a lot of people uh, that were drug addicts and people on public assistance that were walking around that had no money to spend. So my month, my months that I was selling was shortened to six months. So I decided to open up in a mall. The mall business was incredible. We spent uh, $250,000 on the interior of the mall. We did one of the first outside-the-box stores of all time. We had palm trees. We had rock formations that looked like Florida, uh, like Hawaii. We had the Taj Mahal, uh, the Pink Hotel in Hawaii. We rented. We hired this architect from New York that did the Trump Tower uh, uh, to, to build it. And uh, so we were doing a lot of things, but none of the things were working really good. So we lost it all. And... Uh, and I met uh, uh, my current wife, Diane, and she pulled me together and got me out of the muck. And uh, I turned into a rep. What? And, yes. I became a rep for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> what brands? So I had – so let me just tell you. The guys that worked for me became famous reps. And the guys like Jack Jack, uh, Jack. And like Gary Clayton, you never hear Gary yeah, Clayton. I love He's, Gary. He just retired after 30 years with no. That is so and awesome. I called that you have a guy there that you'd like to recommend. You know, he was working for him. I said, the next thing I think, and I let this guy who was working for me walk away from me and start with O'Neill. And he became number one rep. Yeah. And, and, and at that time, we, we were the king. So he said, anybody. There was only one other person more O'Neill, and that was Jack. You know, and uh, so uh, so then Jack Meyer worked for me. Jerry Lo uh, Jerry uh, uh, Jerry, who was the reef rep, worked for me. So there was a lot of guys that were became just like what you guys did. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, uh, uh, just move on. These guys moved on, and so I become a rep. I got. No companies to pick from. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to try to steal the Billabong business from this. The, my rep. I'm not going to try to st steal O'Neill. I'm not going to. So I went on and did my own thing, um, and got young companies that were just starting, like Lucy Love. Oh wow! Like Solitude, like uh, Ulakai, like uh, Aaron Chang. I had over ten companies that I was peddling. Look at you. And, I had no idea. And uh, you're a soldier. <laughs> so I'm selling. I have. A, I had Red Sand time, and MC was with Red. And um, so I had an office in New York on 39th Street, right off of uh, Washington, Washington Square Park, or no, uh, no, uh, 42nd Street. 
And uh, I uh, I have an appointment with a place called Yellow Rat Bastard. I know Yellow Rat Bastard. (laughs) Yeah. So Isaac said, you can bring your stuff down. Show me Lucy Love. So it's snowing in New York, man. And I didn't know enough to pull up in front of his store. So uh, I parked two streets over on Mercer. And I'm wheeling the rack down. I'm wheeling two racks over to his store in the snow. Now, Broadway's got no, no, no traffic on it for the most part. But uh, I get, just get near his store and one of my wheels collapses. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to the best of us, buddy. It's happened to us all. <laughs> the whole thing collapsed right in the snow on Broadway with the cars coming down. And I look up in the sky and go, what did I get myself into? Thank God <laughs> Isaac was nice. And I, you know, I pull in. He goes, "Why don't you just pull up in front?" I said, "I didn't know to pull up in front, so I parked two streets over to save a dime." You know. Uh, wait. Gave me a- did you say this? Did did, did the words "fuck" <laughs> <laughs> come yeah, out of your mouth? What I, the I, fuck? I, I, <laughs> easy potty mouth. Oh my god! It it, it was a it was a, an incredible humble, humbling experience. The whole ten years that I did that. But I want to tell you. <clears throat> It was good for me, you guys. Yeah. And I say today because I didn't know how hard it was to be a rep. I, I have stood reps up, you know, because the ways were good. I missed my appointment, so I didn't know who you were. And if I didn't know who you were, I didn't I didn't want to give you the time of day. I was cocky about it. Yeah. And I was and I think it was important that I got humbled at that time. And I went from whatever I thought I was to whatever I should have been. Yeah. And so one day I uh <clears throat> So I had an appointment with a guy named Pete from Plaza Sports out in I know Montauk. Plaza, yeah. You know Jill and, 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 and those guys? Yeah. Pete, Pete's the owner. Yeah. So he makes an appointment with me to see some stuff. I drive out there four and a half hours. I get there. He goes, I, I can't see you today. And I went, oh, you're going to see me. I just, <laughs> you're you're going to see me or I'm going to open up that store right across the street from you. Now, you wouldn't want me to do that, would you? <laughs> so uh, he, he Wow. Did. Yeah. And uh, so the whole repping thing it was, it was a great thing. I made some beautiful friends. I drove a lot. It was, uh, I had but, some. Hold on. That, what did Pete say? Pete say, oh, okay, I'll order some. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. I'm going across the street if you're not, if you're not doing this. Did, I'm, I'm, I, I don't care what, I'll wait all day, but you're not sending me home four and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Did he laugh at first? You're like, you got to be kidding yeah. me. Serious. And Pete's a tough guy, man. He, yeah. But he's a nice guy. But he's, he's tough, you know. Yeah. Like a New Yorker should be, you know. Um, I got to say, though, that's a weird – Plaza Surf and Sport is a weird store in an amazing area, right? Well, it's 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 a discount store. Yeah. Which I think all towns need a discount store. He's got some good stuff in there. He just yeah. doesn't he doesn't know how to merchandise. It, 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 I went there a couple – maybe two summers ago, and I was just like, whoa – because you're in Montauk, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. The, the tip of the, the world right there. Man. Yeah. The end, the end, the end, you know. Yeah, and end. I was like, whoa, whoa, look at all these, like, bougie places. And then you walk into there, and you're like, wow, this this is, like, fish out of water, yeah. that place. So I thought it was funny. Yeah, so, um, so that was uh, a good, really good 10 years. Diane and I, my, my current wife, uh, she got was able to take my kids from different marriages, marry them together. They all love each other. Uh, her kids live with me, and and uh, we were humbled. We 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 got a small little house, and with her credit, and and uh, we built a we built we came back from the dead. 
and uh, and uh, so after about ten years of that, you know, this I, is the nineties, pretty much. I, that was, yeah, I, I was yeah. I was sixty years old, and I was getting tired of being on the road. Uh, I was making some good money, but I, it took ten companies to make the money. I was yeah. you had it, it drove in what I you know it, it was it was hard it was tough. But so uh, one day, uh, Royce Chancellor, Chan, Chancellor, yeah, stops. Royce. Yep. Yeah. He he was at Rusty, and then he did. Uh, he kind of works for uh, Paul, right? Yeah, he worked for Paul. Yeah. Now Paul is the uh, the president of Billabong. No, he's uh he he's got oh oh that time during that time that, yeah yeah. So I'm walking by one of the booths by Billabong, and uh, I said, Royce, if there's anything there that you think I should, if there's a job out there, let me know, and and let me know what you think. And he goes, Grog, you just stepped in shit. I said, what do you mean? He goes, we're looking for good retailers to open up Billabong stores. Yeah. I said, really? Wow. Would you like to open up one? I said, what's the deal? And he, he gives me the deal. And I said, I'll take that deal, dude. He goes, you have, you have the whole state. Paul says to me, you have the whole state. Just go find your location. And, um, you know, I was scared at the time, but I was born for retail, man. I wasn't born to be on the road. You know, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, I would go into surf shops and I'd start selling on the floor. Yeah. Like if I went run into Huntington Surf and Sport, I'd sell the surfboard just for kicks, and I would bring it up to the counter, and they go, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I just sold that board because you ignored yeah. the guy." <laughs> so, uh, so Paul offered me the deal for the state of New Jersey, uh, and I went out and found the, the, this location with my wife uh, in Shrewsbury, um, and. Uh, I never thought that I could make it nine miles inland because I was a beach guy. You know, I, I, who would buy surf stuff nine miles in, you know, but we sat at the parking lot and we looked at cars and we saw that the area was uh, quite affluent. Uh, we found that, that this is where Bruce lived. This is where Bon Jovi lives. This is where <laughs> all the people on wall street live. So make it out here that these people in this area are healthy people. They work out a lot. They're in good shape. They eat well. And uh, so uh, uh, the rent was more than I ever paid for my mortgage in my store. It was it, the rent here is astronomical, wow. but, the, but there's good players. So uh, we opened it up in uh, 70, uh, 70, 97, excuse me. No, what am I saying? 2007. <laughs> <laughs> we opened it up in 2007 and we've been here 13 years and uh, it's done very well. It's done very well. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, it's a nice rebound story, man. We love we love hearing that. So, yeah. do you have anything to do with the Billabong store in Vegas? Nothing. Okay. No. I'm a franchise. I like to see. I'm not a franchise store. Got it, got it. I could have opened up more Billabong stores in New Jersey like they asked me to do. I chose not to. I decided to pick an area where there really wasn't any competition. Yeah. I mean, we have a Brave New World that's about four miles from me here. But there's really no competition here. Uh, I didn't want to step on stones. I didn't want to open up my heritage. I didn't want to open up Long Beach Island. I didn't want to open up May. Yeah. You know, there's no need to start a war. There was, I, you know. So we're here. And, uh, and uh, Lucas was working for me for a while. And uh, he, he branched out and did his own thing. And, uh, and here we are 13 years later with the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh. So uh, 
let's talk about the here and now. Uh, when when did you get a notice from your your government or your whatever you call it, the governing body there, and said, "Hey, you guys have to shut down." About March fifteenth. So everyone pretty much across the country got March fifteenth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Diane and I, my wife, my beautiful wife, uh, we went to uh, Mita. I had never been. Have been to Mita? Punta Mita? I've never been. Yeah. yeah. So I never had been there either. And I, I, we had gotten off a cruise and uh, I, I, I drove with a cab and I said, just take me to some waves. And they take me to Punta Mita. And I thought, wow, this place is pretty cool. Hotel. So we, we, we flew back there in February and uh, we were having a good time. And I got back off the plane March, uh, February 15th or something like that. And we got extremely sick. Ooh. So Montezuma? I, yeah, I no, it wasn't Montezuma, man. It was Parasite or something. It was COVID. Oh, you got COVID? Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure. Because you were on know, a you were on a cruise, you said? No. This was I had been on the cruise in November. Okay. And then we flew back after I discovered this I discovered it that I, I discovered it for myself. I mean I, I, the place has been going off for fifty years, but uh, so we went there for on vacation and when we came back Three or four days after we got back, we got deathly sick. Wow. The coughing, the rib cage, the shortness of breath, the slight fever. A lot of the things were identical to COVID. Now, when I went to the doctor, he wasn't checking me for COVID. He said, you got a bad bronchitis. Yeah. You got close to pneumonia. We both overcame it, and we haven't been sick since. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying we beat it, but at this point, we're thinking – that it might have been. We, we had it already. Now I'm being cautious, man. Everything about this store, we closed. We're, we're doing business behind closed doors here. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're doing all the right things. We're cleaning everything. I've only got a few, a skeleton crew of a few girls here that are helping out. But it's keeping us mentally sane at this yeah. point. And I'm learning from my kids. Yeah. You know, I'm learning from Tyler. I'm learning from Lucas. Learning from. Yeah, I, I've been doing business with uh, Luke for a couple of years. Such such a good dude and, and you know, a hustler. And yeah. I'm, I'm kind of friends with Tyler, and I see him doing the same thing. So you've done a good job of passing uh, passing down the, uh, the work ethic, you know? Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to just give out shout out my wife and that I love so much. Uh, my family, uh, sisters and brothers, my children, I just love them all. You yeah. Know? And they're such great people, and they're all I'm just happy that they're all. We got grandkids. I have two boys. I have uh, uh, Logan and Julian. I've got uh, uh, Cole, and we have, uh, and Lucas has a daughter named Scarlett. He's got another one in the in the oven. Uh, his Dang. wife called uh, uh, Frankie's. And then we've got uh, Kenny, Kenny, uh, my stepson. He's got a daughter coming, Chloe. So we've got a lot of good things down the pike here. Yeah. The Masenko. Uh... Seventy years old. My God, seventy years old. <laughs> Next month. So that's that's not me. That was my father. That was I'm I'm not seventy. My, no my father's seventy. No kidding, right? So I t- know. So it goes quick, man. Are you are you still surfing? Yeah. In fact. Uh, my stepson's bugging me to surf tomorrow morning. It'll be about four foot, slide on shore wind, 
at about six o'clock in the morning. I'm now into stand-up paddle surfing. I changed over and did this stand-up paddle surfing stuff. And uh, I, I've taken off on some pretty big waves, man. I've gotten my ass handed to me. I almost drowned in Puerto Rico. I got tombstoned for about five, five to ten minutes. But uh, uh, I lived through that. But it's another challenge right now. I yeah, need yeah. a challenge. I did everything. The shortboard, the longboard, the, you know, the, the, the reinvention of the longboard, the twin fin. Every, I've done it all. Yeah. What, what's I need to do this. And then after that, you know, yeah. I don't know. As long as you uh, keep in the water, that, that keeps you young, right? Young and healthy. Young and it, it, you know, you can get sucked into the business a lot, you know. You oh, can God. Get, oh, God. And, you know, yeah. and I, I find myself making excuses why I shouldn't go out. And then when I go out, I go, why did I talk myself out of the whole, right. the last, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so, it's so simple on how, how energized and, and just a, a quick surf. You never get out of the water disappointed. You know, yeah. you always yeah. feel like I, yeah. I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Yes. Even if you didn't catch the greatest waves, yeah. I only need one at my age. I only need one to say to myself, oh, I still got it. I still got it, honey. Still, <laughs> yeah. still ripping. Well, dude, we're at two hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> That's history, man. That's so I bet, awesome. I bet there's hours of good stories in there. Yeah. Well, uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I know it's what, nine o'clock there now? Yeah. Almost nine? Yeah, it takes me about a half hour to get home. Yeah, but and, um, uh, <coughs> uh, we loved having you on the on the podcast. Uh, you're you're a legend, East Coast legend, and uh, yeah, East Coast Surfer Hall of Famer. Yeah, and um, I, I'm actually I'm, I've been I've been blessed to be in two Hall of Fames. That's awesome. The New Jersey one and the East Coast one. I really feel blessed to be in both. I was actually uh, uh, at the uh, Surf Expo induction i watched uh i watched you get inducted and i don't know which one that was but the one that was at surf expo yeah that was east coast nice oh you were there yeah yeah you know when you get up there you forget everything you want to say (laughs) (laughs) i I get off and i go i should have mentioned this guy i should have mentioned that guy i should have not you know it's it's difficult man i get i get even when i'm doing what i'm doing right now when i when i leave here i'm going to think of all these things i should have said but i didn't but but that's 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 part of life and that's the way it goes and uh what uh, yeah. what kind of advice would you give to our listeners? Uh, life advice, business advice. But whatever you find to do, make sure you're happy doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. It's not about the money. It's about are you happy doing what you're doing every day? Yeah. Even if you're making less money, are you happy? Yes, I'm. Le- I'm making less money. You know, yeah. I, I can't. I I can't wait to sell another. The surfboard every day. I you you and as soon as I sell it, I want to sell the next one. Yeah, I want somebody yeah. to come back to me and say to me, "You changed my life by selling me the right board at the right time." That's awesome. Cool. If I get a little bit of that, it's made my day in my life. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it, as teachers, you guys, you guys worked in surf. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, you, you've changed. You're, pa- you're passing the stoke along. Yeah, and you actually feel a little guilty if you sell them the wrong board. Yeah, oh, t- definitely. Yeah. Especially, um, if, especially if you're telling them this is the right board, and they're fighting you on it, and you finally say, "Okay, you can buy whatever you want." Yeah, I'm telling you the right board, and you didn't listen to whatever. Yeah, so you, you've been you're, you're celebrated on May 10th. You said your 50th year in business. That's right. Congratulations. Um, Thanks. How many people? Do you think 
Well, how many people do you have in normal times? How many people do you employ? 25, 30. Wow. In one location? Yes, one location. Wow. Now, is there full-time guys and part-time guys or? Of course there is, yes. Yeah. High season. We have receiving area. So we have to we have a, a warehouse where everything gets received and yeah. processed. So we need two guys there. We need guys uh, in the office here and bookkeeping and, and, and paying our bills. We uh, I specialize in having people that uh, uh, that are good salespeople, yeah. that are pleasant people. Yeah. You know, I have to have somebody that that sell a surfboard in a wetsuit. Yeah. We're not wink. We're, we're we're real, authentic surf shop. Yeah. So that's, you know, I told you we interview a lot of surf shops and we want to, the reason why is because that's our livelihood, right? Your livelihood. And we want to remind people that, you know, it's not just a business of one person running it, right? You're also providing uh, livelihoods to countless numbers of people for countless numbers of years, you know, 25 people. You know, over 50 years, that's a lot of freaking people in the community. You yes. know, so instead of instead of that, you know, our, our listeners, hey, remember this. Remember that when you buy from a local surf shop, an independent re- retailer, a small business, you're you're helping the local economy. So Big time. so don't shop exclusively online. Don't shop Amazon. Go to your local surf shop. Absolutely. Right. Enjoy the authentic experience that you would get out of a surf shop. Yeah. Not only the wetsuits and the surfboards, but from the smell of the surf shop, from the from the smell of the candles and the and the wax. You know, the people come back to me after all these years and you know, Grog, you Grog, you had a certain smell in your surf shop. And I said, <laughs> it was hey, they, they they made that smell in the candles. I think they're pretty successful. <laughs> you guys pretty smart. Grog goes, hey, I, I must have had Hungarian food that day. Yeah. <laughs> well, Grog, yeah. man, it was amazing uh, chatting with you today. Yes. You guys follow me. Now, just tell me, where do, where, do you, where, where do you guys work at? What do you guys do? <laughs> I have a Ruka rep in Orange County, L.A. Uh-huh. And uh, Lyndon's uh, outer known rep for oh. all of America. Yep. So well, right now I'm doing the U.S. Those, for Outer Known. Those are two great brands, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, dude, thank you so much for spending okay. time with us. Congratulations yes. on 50 years. Let me um, give, give you the super shotgun. There you go. Whenever, whenever you get a chance, text me some photos from your archives. Any kind of videos you have, videos that you, you made for, from Puerto Rico, that'd be insane. Really? You want me to send them to you? Heck yeah. 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 Uh, that's some good stuff, man. Yeah, because I'm going to promote this like for seven days when, when we launch it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Grog, congratulations on, on your body of work. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. All right. Stay safe, my friend. Stay Thank safe. you for your time. Peace out, man. Peace out. Peace out. Love you guys. Thank you. Love you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 